Due to the graphic nature of the personal accounts and content discussed in this podcast, listener discretion is advised. Many episodes will include graphic personal accounts and discussions of child sexual assault, domestic violence, physical abuse, rape, sexual situations, and suicide. survivors. I'm your host Sarah Haley. Our guest today is Peyton Hawes. We're super excited to have her on the show today and I can't wait to hear her story. I found her on Facebook. Um, She had posted to another group that she was interested in telling her story and I said hey we have a podcast we would love to have you on. So she reached out to me and um, I'm, I'm excited to hear it. I was just on her YouTube channel. She has a YouTube channel that she can plug later on if she'd like, um, talking about her, her faith journey, where she's at now. And it's, it's incredible what I've heard so far. So I'm super excited to hear it. I'm going to hand it off to you, Peyton. And thank you for being on the show today. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to share everything. And I love that you found my channel and you're plugging me. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I'm really excited. Um, but... Yeah, this is, I've just always felt like I had, you know, kind of a unique story, at least for um, anybody in my personal life. I hadn't really ever met anybody who had experienced a lot of the things that I had. And I found a lot of comfort in searching online and finding, you know, that there's, you know, a lot more people who have experienced some of the things that I have. And it's, you know, it just made me feel like a little bit less alone and like some of the things that I've experienced. And so I kind of started diving into the, the world of, um, you know, just wanting to like connect with people. And I just love being raw and honest and just real, because I feel like that's the best way to connect with other people. And that's what I do on my YouTube channel. That's what I do in my personal life. I never want to like pretend that everything's picture perfect. I just want to be playful and fun. And when times are hard, talk about it. And, you know, I've had a lot of people reach out and just thank me for sharing my story. And there's so many people who are dealing with the same thing and they're um, too afraid to like speak up about it. And so when they like thank me for like being a voice in that way and like encouraging them to 
want to do that and like make me want to cry because I just that's all that I could ask for so um yeah, but yeah I, think- I am I'm ready to share um I think that's fantastic I know with um within the Mormon community I I think it's it's unique that you are still active in the church right or mm-hmm. okay um and and you're you're just now figuring this out but you're doing it in a space that other people can learn from as well and like you said can can draw comfort because like within I I grew up Mormon and mm-hmm. was Mormon active Mormon up until about a year and a half ago. And Mm -hmm. within that Mormon space, there's so much of wanting to portray that everything's perfect, wanting Mm -hmm. to portray that everything's okay. Everything's sunshine and rainbows and everything's okay. And there's nothing bad going on. And whereas underneath the surface, there's, there's a lot of strife for every individual person, but they feel like they can't show it. So when there are the people within this space that are raw and real, it's so freeing to other people to know oh I don't have to be perfect I don't have to put on this perfect face Mm -hmm. so uh, thank you for doing that yeah yeah that's something that I've always connected with in other people and I know that you know that feeling of feeling less alone it has has really been it's made a big impact on my life and it's just made me want to do that with other people so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing um but yeah let's get into my my story from the beginning. Um, so, um, before I was born, both of my parents, um, they were also born and raised in the church. Um, um, and my mother actually had my oldest sister, um, when she was graduating high school. So she was in high school when she had my oldest sister from like her boyfriend at the time. Um, So that was like a very, that was kind of like the first big non-traditional like LDS thing that happened like within this family. Um, And um, yeah, and you know, she, she never told me a lot about, you know, how she might've been treated during that time I've always like had my suspicions that I'm sure she got a lot of judgment not to like just assume negativity but I just feel like that's kind of what happens a lot in that kind of situation but um the person that she had the baby with ended up you know leaving and didn't want anything to do with it um and I don't even really know who it was I've like met him once so I don't really know him um but my my parents were friends, like in the high school um, age group. They all had very you know mutual friends, and my biological dad he went on a mission, and when he came back, him and my mom dated for a while, and they ended up getting sealed in the temple. So that's when you know they started having more kids. They had my older brother. And they, my mom actually had, she miscarried twins before I was born. Um, and my biological dad was molesting my older sister, the one that my mom had in high school with another guy. 
um, we found out that, well, not we, because that was a baby, but <laughs> they found out that um, he had been doing stuff like that with her. And I've actually gotten like a lot of mixed stories from different people about how exactly it all went down, like what exactly he was doing. Um, I have a relationship with him to this day. And even he tells me like, that a lot of it was made up, but I don't know how true that is. Um, I definitely believe that, you know, he made a lot of bad decisions and he's admitted to that, but he says a lot of stuff was exaggerated, but my sister begs to differ. And she was, I think eight at the time. So she was definitely old enough to like have memories of what happened. And, um, yeah, but yeah, so I was five months old at that time. And, um, my parents split up. My um, biological dad ended up going to jail for those things. Um, and when, by the time I was two years old, my mom had married my dad. So um, she married my dad who adopted me. He's the one who raised me. So he's my dad. You know, I don't, I don't refer to my biological dad like as my dad in real life. He feels more like an uncle. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, she married him when I was two and he raised me. He adopted me and my older brother and sister. So we all, you know, took on his last name as well when my mom married him. And we were all sealed in the temple together. And we grew up very, very orthodox, like everything was you know exactly by the book exact rules whatever comes like, from the mouth of the prophet is like you listen to every syllable and you do exactly what he says um and you know modesty is a big thing my mom would like make sure that we were wearing clothes that would cover garments like if we had worn them like even little like she would wanted them to be wanted us to like just be used to dressing that way already so we wouldn't have to like make an adjustment later. You know, language and purity culture and all of that jazz, church every Sunday, all kinds of callings in the church, all bigger callings. My mom was like a girls camp stake director and she, all of her friends were all like big stake, like leadership people. And my dad always worked like one-on-one -on -one with missionaries and um, very active. I, I could probably count on one time the amount of times I didn't go to church, like on one hand, I mean, <laughs> on the amount of times that I missed church on a Sunday growing up because we had to be like very contagious ill to not go to church. So, yeah. and even in that case, we were supposed to like watch conference talks or read scriptures or something while we were at home and like share something spiritual that we did like while the rest of the family was at church like it's so very orthodox um so during all of this um starting from the time that I was about two years old when my you know parents got married and they bought a house together um my I had a family member who um, was being molested on the school bus, like on his way to school every day by somebody else, 
some other like classmate um, um, and he was six years old at this time um, so he was coming home like curious about the things that he was learning and we shared a bedroom so I was like two and he was six and so we had like this bunk bed and he would like crawl down in the middle of the night and my memories are so like faint because I was so so little but I had my dad tell me like he'd be like you don't remember being that young like not not in a way where he's trying to say like this didn't happen to you but he was just like there's no way you have memories of being that little and I like started explaining exactly where things were in the house what color things were and he's like what <laughs> like I'm like yeah, I remember absolutely you can remember that age that was like for me I was um abused by my older brother and it started when I was three which mm -hmm. is almost two yeah and I very clearly remember the first time I remember what I was wearing I remember what I was doing like I remember the color the feel of my clothes like yeah it doesn't matter how old you are yeah you yeah. can certainly remember those things. yeah that's crazy because I, I mean I was just about to start talking about how like a random part of the memory is I remember that I was like potty training at that time so I had I was wearing like pull-ups to bed so a lot of what I remembered was like fiddling with like pull-ups kind of thing and yeah I remember once I was potty trained and I had like switched to wearing underwear I had all these memories of like after something would happen and I like wasn't at wearing my underwear anymore I would crawl underneath like out of my bed and underneath it had like um a bunch of like my old like pull-ups that I wasn't using anymore were like stored under the bed and I remember they had Minnie Mouse on them and I wanted those more than <laughs> my underwear I wanted the Minnie Mouse and I would like sneak pull-ups out even though I like wasn't supposed to wear them anymore and then I'd put other pants over top of them and I remember I'd like try walking the next morning like out in the living room in the kitchen and you could like hear the diaper or the pull-up just like with the noise that it makes and I remember I was like I'm gonna get in trouble and I was like running to the bathroom trying to hide it but I just like have random just like memories of like pull-ups and having to like change all the time because of stuff that was happening like um so it's just kind of like really random like that but um yeah uh at a certain point, probably when I was four, we ended up moving to a new town. And we lived there for quite a few years, and the abuse continued. Um, you know, we were getting older, and uh, we're still really little at this point. Because, um, you know, I'm, I'm four once we moved, and we lived there until I was nine. So I was still little, but uh, this family member is like four years older than me, so he... He was eight when we moved and then he, so he was getting baptized and then, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. So he was 13, um, by the time we were moving out of that home, but a lot went down in that house, like over those, um, you know, five or so years, um, we, there's so many stories that it would be difficult to get into all of them. It, basically, the abuse turned into such a regular occurring thing that I always, for some reason, 
compared it to brushing my teeth, that it was just like a part of a day. And, um, I've never been able to quite explain it, but I just like, I don't remember him like at that age telling me that I wasn't supposed to tell anybody, but it was like, I somehow, I just knew that I wasn't supposed to say anything. And I don't know why I just like, was like, I, this is supposed to be like secret. And I, I don't remember why I felt that or why I knew that, but, um, yeah. That that same exact thing happened with me. Like, yeah, that's the same thing. My brother never told me not to tell anyone, but I just knew not to tell. And then, like, when it was found out, which was years later, and when I was talking to, like, you know, the detectives had to come talk to me, they asked me, like, if my brother ever threatened me to not tell. And I told, I lied, saying that my brother had threatened me just because I was like, why did I not tell? Why did I not say oh, anything? Yeah. And, and at the time I was like seven or eight when I was talking to the detectives and I thought I would get in trouble, Yeah, you know, by saying that I, I wasn't. So yeah, that's the same thing. Like he never, he was never mean about it. He never, like, he never threatened me. He would never said, don't tell anyone. I just didn't, I re- I clearly remember I didn't have the words for it. Yep. So like, mm-hmm. it's hard to tell something is happening when you don't have the words for it. Yeah. But, yeah, I remember lying to detectives saying that he threatened me just because nervous that you would I get in like, trouble. Yeah, I totally, I right. totally get that. I will get into a section of my life where I started lying about a bunch of stuff in fear or <laughs> stuff like that. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a big thing. I my. Um, this family, I keep saying family member because I actually like reached out to him prior to doing this. And I like asked if I could, you know, use his name or be like specific about like how he's related to me. And he was just like, can you please just say family member? (laughs) I was like, I'm fine with that. I'll just say family member. Because we actually do have a great relationship to this day and we'll get onto like why and everything later. But, um really my mind got to a point where I think my brain just did this in a way to protect me but I kind of disassociated from the person who was abusing me and they were two different people even though yeah so even though I just like separated him from I just made them two different people there's you know my family member and then the the person who was hurting me were two different people. And so, um, I, I think my, my brain did that to protect me in a way because it allowed me to have a good relationship with this family member while also, um, I don't know. It just like, there was a completely different energy. That's kind of hard to explain. But it was like when he walked into a room, you could tell, you know, what version of him I was going to get just being in the room, not having done or said anything at all yet, because I could just feel it. It was when it was just like, you know, this family member, he's just like, um, you know, very bright energy you know, very comedic and everybody wanted to be his friend. He was very nice to everybody. He was always a really sweet guy. And when that was like switched off, 
it was really kind of like a light switch where now all of a sudden the lights are out, things are dark, and you could feel it. And you know that I have a different version of this person right now. Um, and it's kind of sad, but I really truly feel like it's something that has helped me to this day because even though I know that they were the same person, like my mind truly separated like the emotions into like splitting. It makes me like wonder about like people who will have like um, like multiple personality disorder. I can't remember like the exact term that they call it today because I think it's changed, but um, it kind of made me think about that where like, you know, when I've studied that before, they talk about how a lot of times people who experience this have like had many traumas in their life where they basically said like no this happened to someone else like I'm actually this person you know and if this person starts experiencing another trauma it's like that didn't happen to me that happened to this person and that that mentally it's like a way of like protecting them from like almost like completely disconnecting themselves from having had the trauma I guess um I don't know exactly how it works I don't know exactly like how um accurate all of that info is but when I was like studying about that I thought it was so interesting because it, it almost feels like I, I did that to this family member that I was just like you're two different people <laughs> like yeah that makes complete yeah. sense so um it happened for a lot of years and and um also during this time I the ward that we were in there was another family that um our, our family was really close with and when both of my parents were working um, and all of the kids were in school, this other family would pick me up from school at the end of the day and they'd take me to their house and I would just be there until my mom was done with work and would come pick me up. So this was like very regular occurring. I was going over to this family member's house, or not family members, family friend's <laughs> house. Um, and they they had a son who was there and it anytime that they had me go and um have like nap time basically or like quiet time by myself on quite a few occasions I remember like waking up from my nap with like this other boy that lived there just like with no clothes like on top of me and I remember the first time that it happened thinking that it was like kind of weird but then it all made sense to me because it was like, oh, this just like is a thing that happens. Like this is just like what boys do. Um, and my mind was just kind of like trying to figure it out on its on its own. Like at this little age, um, I think at this point I was probably like seven, about. Um, so it, it was definitely weird. Um, and, you know, nothing really came, came from that. I never really, like, I never confronted the boy about it. I never confronted the parents about it. I don't know that I even ever told my parents about it. It's just, like, I almost feel like I don't, I don't feel like that affected me at all. I don't know why. I just, yeah. like, I think it just, like, felt normal at that point that, I just thought that it was a normal thing. So like I wasn't mentally like affected by it, if that makes sense. 
and it, it was just like a couple times with this this person and there's very faint like memories of it so it wasn't you know as reoccurring as you know this other family member um but yeah so by the time I was um, probably 10 years old or so I remember at that point um, like 9 or 10 I was now grown enough where like all of the like touching and molesting and all of that stuff was able to like turn into like actually rape um, because I was now big enough to do that um, and that is a part of the story that has always stood out to me because also around that time like in school they were teaching about you know um, puberty and you know what happens with all of that and I remember there were times where um, after you know after um, this person would like come in and have sex with me that I sometimes I would be bleeding and I thought that I was like getting my period and I remember telling my mom when I was nine that I got uh, my period and she like bought went to the store and she bought me pads and tampons and chocolate and she like she was like so nice and just like was just like trying to help like give me more information that I didn't get from the school and um I just remember her being like so nice and sweet to me and talked about how like it was normal for me to be like more emotional around that time of the month and like she's just being really sweet I just remember that being like really cute but there was also like a really really sickening feeling behind it at the same time so it's like a really weird connection but um yeah the a really difficult part of the story is after all of that happened you know now being around 10 years old because I remember I was still in elementary school so I had to have been um at least 10 but on the school bus every morning not every morning but like if there were mornings where my stomach hurt or I felt sick I would like get make myself even more sick with the idea of like what if I was pregnant and oh, at that point I didn't even realize that I hadn't actually gotten my period at 10. Like, I thought that I got it when I was nine, but really I was just, like, having some pretty regular, like, bleeding sometimes because of what was happening to me. And so, yeah. um, but I, I would feel sick on the school bus, and I would just, like, be like, oh, my gosh, like, what if I'm, like, pregnant with, like, a family member's baby, and this is so scary, and it was... At that point, I was old enough for it to be, like, really, like, emotionally and mentally, like, taxing on, like, my body. And I just would get physically ill. Um, and so, that was something where, you know, now there's, now here comes, like, a few years where I now know what's happening. I've now learned what this is and that it's not okay. Um... And kind of trying to navigate that. Um, I, my parents were like very, very strict in a way that I feel like kind of made me a people pleaser. Um, and when you add on like, you know, 
being abused and not saying anything, I feel like that also kind of makes you a people pleaser sometimes. Like, and so, um, I, it, it was, even when I was having a really hard time and I did not want anything to happen and I was like, you know, I have full knowledge of this, it turned more so into me just like freezing and I would kind of like pretend that it wasn't happening to me. I would kind of like mentally go somewhere else until it was over. Um, yeah. And there was a time I was talking with my little sister and we shared a room together for a lot of years when we lived in this house. And, um, so we were pretty close. She was four years younger than me. So there's, I mean, when you're that young, like that still is a pretty big age gap and like where you're at <laughs> in your development. So she was like, yeah, seven around this time when we were talking and I don't remember exactly how the conversation came up, but she was like asking me about this family member and was like, has he ever like done this before or something like that? And, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's just kind of like, mind you, like, I might not get all of these sentences like perfect because it's, it's like so hard to remember exactly what she was saying because like my biggest memory is how I felt when she was talking to me because she didn't like come to me with like, I need to tell you something kind of thing. It was like, I'm so little and I'm so confused and I'm going to ask my sister like if she knows what this is. And so it, she was kind of yeah. just like explaining like, I think she was like asking if, um, if he ever like put his hand in my pants or something, or if, if he ever, um, made you like touch his privates, like I can't, it's things like that. She was kind of like wondering if he had ever done that with me or like just like confused and she felt comfortable talking to me. I don't even remember what I said. I can't remember if I like gave her advice. I can't remember if I, I, I feel like I might have just like kind of tried to not overreact and make like a big reaction to her. Like being like seven, I didn't want her to like immediately freak out. She has struggled with anxiety her entire life even when she was that little probably because this happened I don't know but she would get like really physically ill really fast with anxiety um and so I didn't want to like freak out or anything but whatever my response was I remember being very calm and collected um but it was like within um a day I couldn't stop thinking about it and I went to school the next day I have no idea what I learned it was like I was just mentally going through the motions and in my head I'm just like cannot stop thinking about the fact that like 
I just realized that this is happening to my little sister too. And yeah, I was fine not saying anything with it just happening to me. But now if I don't say anything, I'm also allowing it to continue to happen to her. And so I knew I had to say something. And I remember coming home, like feeling like, you know, I have no idea how I'm going to even get this out. And no one was home. Like when I got home from school, the house was empty. And so I was like, okay, like maybe I have like a little bit more time to like try and think like, what what's the, the first thing that I say? Like, how do I even like bring this up? And I remember like, I just started sobbing my eyes out and I was crying for probably, probably like five hours because people, I was crying and eventually people were coming home and I still couldn't stop crying. And, um, my older sister and her husband, uh, came over like with their dogs. They didn't live there anymore, but they were just coming over to come see the family and say hi. And, um, I just like couldn't contain my tears. I was like trying so hard to like stop so that I could like talk or say something. But then the thought of having to say it in person and to someone's face and whatever the reaction might be. And I'm a people pleaser. I don't want to make anybody feel bad or guilty or anything like. um, And so I would just cry more. And since they had their dogs with them, they were like, hey, we're going to take our dogs to the dog park. Um, Do you want to come with us? Maybe you can get some fresh air. Maybe it'll make you feel better. And so I was like nodding my head because I was kind of taking it like, okay, like this is happening for a reason. Like I'm supposed to tell like my sister or something like I'm she's going to be the one who's going to like be able to make me feel like comfortable so that I can get it out. So I was like nodding my head and I got in the car with them and drove to the dog park and dogs were just running around playing. And I'm like sitting on this bench outside, like still sobbing in front of everybody. Just like could not contain it. Um, and after my sister was talking to me for probably like, you know, 45 minutes to an hour at this point and, and wasn't able to get anything out. I just kept saying I was scared and I was scared. Um, and so her husband, my brother-in-law, he, his job was working with like troubled teens and kids. And he had, you know, a background in being able to, he wasn't a therapist or a counselor, but he like had training to be able to like help with, you know, teenage mental health and kids and stuff and help with like feelings and emotions. Um, so he had like some training in that and he came and sat by me on the bench and like made me feel like he helped me to be able to like calm down with like certain breathing exercises and then was able to like make me feel like very safe in sharing this information. Like I like, you know, this is a safe place. Like, um, like, he just said all the right things to help me to like calm down and finally be able to like try and get the words out. And, um, I don't even remember what I said. I don't remember how I said it or what the words were. Um, but I remember once I said it, there was obvious, like 
shock but trying not to overreact kind of thing and then they had like tons of follow-up questions and I was just answering everything that they asked and they were just constantly like shocked with each answer over and over like this has been happening for 10 years like okay and then I I had mentioned that I had just found out that it was happening to my little sister and that's why I had to say something and so they took me home and I remember immediately they both went upstairs because my mom was home at that point and they both went upstairs up to her room and like shut the door and I wasn't up there so I knew they were just like talking to her and um they eventually opened the door and like my mom asked me to come up and she was just like oh my gosh and she's just like like what happened and then she had a ton of questions too a lot of them were the same as the ones that like my sister and brother-in-law had been asking me and, um, but I was just like giving them everything that they wanted and my mom was like basically speechless and she called my dad who was at work now he's a fireman he's been a fireman like for as long as I could remember even to this day he's like chief of a fire department because he's just always stayed in that career and just moved himself all the way to the top so that's what he's doing now but he he's been a fireman my whole like childhood for as long as I can remember so um that kind of schedule is very similar to like you know if you're a, a doctor or something like you can't just leave like you're an emergency like service person like you can't you can't be like oh I don't feel good I'm gonna go home or something happened like and so my dad never he my dad never left work early for anything like he wouldn't he would like move his schedule around with like other people who worked you know like ahead of time so that he could you know plan for certain things but he never left like in the middle of anything um and when my mom got off the phone with him, she said that he was coming home. And I was like, I remember that being like a huge shock for me. Um, and I suddenly got scared because there was a time not too long before this where this family member who had been hurting me all these years, um, he was we got in some type of like argument or fight and I think he like hit me and so I cried to my dad and I was like he hit me all this stuff and um my dad like took him by the throat and threw him against the wall and said if you ever touch her again I'll kill you like he was I mean, he was a very strict dad like even to this day we've had this conversation and he's been like Okay, maybe not been like the best thing to say, but like sometimes a dad just like freaks out for the protection of his children, okay? Even if it was another child. <laughs> like and he's like he's like I'm not excusing it. He's like who knows if it was the right thing to say or not. But like he's just so we've talked about it to this day, but I remember in a way that made me feel very safe and protected by my dad because I knew that he would like have my back if he ever knew that I got hurt. But it also made me very scared because I also really still loved this family member and didn't want him to die. And I'm just like little, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, so when I heard that my dad was coming home from work, I was like, I have to leave. 
I got so scared of like what was going to happen when he oh, got home. And, um, so my sister like let me get in the car with her and she drove me to the mall in our town and we were just walking around and I remember asking her like a ton of questions that I was like finally able to ask. And I was like, I was like, is it normal? Like, you know, after, after you have sex that like it burns when you go pee. And I remember her just like kind of like looking around and she's like, uh, can sometimes. And like, she's kind of like, and I'm just like, and then like a lot of times it'll still burn when I pee after that. And then I remember just like, I like tons of really random questions come to find out. I was like regularly having UTIs and yeast infections and I just didn't know. Like, and so, um, Jeez. but I could tell that some of my questions were making her kind of uncomfortable and not in a way where it's like, you can't come to me with questions, but it's like, I just found out all of this information. I'm in major shock and I'm sad that you have to ask me these questions. I, now as an adult, I look back and like, I feel like that's where her mind was at. But at that time I was like, oh, she's uncomfortable with me asking these questions. And so I just like got quiet and didn't say anything anymore. Um, but, uh, by the time we had like gotten back in the car and we drove back to the house, there were tons of cop cars all around the house. My dad's car was there and people, neighbors were like coming outside and looking cause it's dark outside at this point. So you see all the red and blue flashing lights just all around our house and everyone's like coming outside, like what the heck's going on? And, um, I go inside and there's like more than 10 cops in the house, just like all walking around talking to different people. They've got all their notepads and their pens and just like talking to everybody. And, um, this family member was sitting like over at the dining room table that you could like actually see like right when you walk in. And I remember like, I was like, Oh my gosh, he knows I said something and I got nervous. And like, I got nervous for like the side of him that I still loved, like as a family member, like, I got nervous, like, that he was going to be, like, sad out of, like, the people pleaser side in me that, like, I told on him kind of thing. And, um, and so I didn't want to see his face. I was nervous and I remember just kind of, like, sneaking by and I went all the way to my room. And so some of, like, my sister came and sat with me in there and there would be cops coming in, like, asking me questions. And they honestly didn't have to ask me a lot of questions because they said that this family member admitted to everything immediately. Like, and he gave them every detail of every question that they asked. Like he just was saying everything. So they didn't really need to ask me a ton of stuff other than just kind of like, what's your side of the story? Like confirmation kind of thing. Um, so yeah, they, they all, you know, this family member was gone. All the cops were gone. Everybody left. Um, it was just, you know, my parents and my sister and brother-in-law ended up leaving. They went back home. And so now it was just me, my little sister, my little brother at home with my parents, which was like super weird. Cause that's just like not how it normally was. It just kind of felt like something was gone. Um, and I remember you know, just like the weirdest tension in the house everywhere. Like my mom, um, was connecting all of us, all of this to the fact that like we had just blessed our home. So yeah, that's like a very like, Jeez. 
common thing that like a lot of people in the church will do is like when you're in a new house or you move or it's it's been a long time since the last time you blessed your home or something I don't know but we had just like done that together as a family like during the family home evening or something and so like this whole time my mom is like convinced that like the spirit told me to come out with all this stuff because like because we had just blessed our home and that was like the way of like you know, getting all of the evilness out of the home. And I was like, I did, could definitely see how an Orthodox religious person would put that together. But I really feel like it's just because I found out it was happening with my sister. <laughs> I just, like, was not going to let that happen. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I really thought yeah. about it like that too deeply at that time. Because at that time, I'm still young enough where, like, everything my parents say is absolute truth. Like, I, I clinged on to everything that they said and I believed everything that they ever told me. Um, so at that time I was just like, sure. Oh my goodness. Like, like that's probably true or so. I don't remember. <laughs> but, um, I, I remember I didn't have to go to school the next day cause we were all up super late with everybody there. And I feel like, just my parents didn't know what to say and my younger brother and sister were just confused and like asking you know where this family member went and you know I remember I was I was still supposed to do my chores I have like a memory of me like sweeping the kitchen when my mom came up and was like asking me some questions and um she wanted to put me in like counseling and therapy and at that time, I remember thinking that that meant something was wrong with me. And obviously, that's not true. But at that time, I, that's how I felt when I was little. I just thought that that meant something was wrong with me. And I was like, I don't really, I don't feel like I need to do that. And I remember thinking like, oh, my parents just like think that this is some huge big deal because they just found out about all of it and this is all new and fresh to them and they have to like absorb that this has been happening for the last 10 years and they didn't know um and I was like trying to I remember explaining to my mom I was like this has been happening to me since I was two like and I I used like this this term that I talked about earlier where I said it really felt like it was brushing my teeth it was very it it because it started when I was so little, it became normal. And it wasn't until I got to an age where I yeah. realized that it was wrong and I knew that it wasn't okay. And I knew like of the dangers of all of it. And that's where, you know, some of the um, mental health like difficulties came in. And then you add in like everything that the church teaches about, you know, the law of chastity and I just constantly felt like I, I wasn't worthy to do anything because like I wasn't a virgin, even though I was little, like, and, um, you know, there's like a lot of times the term of like, you know, people will talk about a lesson in church where you're like a licked cupcake or chewed gum or something like that. And, um, I, that was a very, very difficult thing for me to hear about from like people that I grew up with. Cause I was in the same board for many years, people that I grew up with whom I loved teaching that this is, this is what you are if you do this thing. 
and I didn't have any control over the fact that I had done this. And so I was like sitting in these types of lessons feeling like I was less than and I was unworthy and nobody was ever going to want me because this happened to me. Like, and so. So, so you, you actually had those lessons then the the licked cupcake, the chewed gum and stuff. That is so damaging. Yeah. And you want to know, like, there's, there's so many things that I'm learning that are so like contradictive in the church because I also had a lesson where, you know, um, one of the teachers came in and he had like, I don't know, like a $20 bill or something. And he was like asking if anybody wanted it. It's very similar to this same lesson, but it was like almost opposite. Cause he's like, does anybody want it? And you know, everybody wants to raise their hand and he starts crumbling it up and, you know, rolling it in his hands. And he's like, does anybody want it? And, um, everybody still wants it. And then he like kind of unrolls it a little and he like makes like a little tear in the top of it and asks if anybody still wants it. Everybody still wants it. He starts stomping on the ground. He's like making this a huge thing. And he's talking about how, um, just because of the things that happen to you and the things, the mistakes that you make and the, the way that you like live your life when, when stuff hits you hard and you feel like, you know, you're damaged and and you can feel like all of this. And he talks about how like that doesn't take away from your worth and what, you know, you deserve in life. And, and that, you know, every, you know, there's always going to be people who like love you and, and want you and need you. And like, all it was like the complete opposite lesson, but it's been the same church. (laughs) Yeah. I had that lesson. And thankfully, I actually never had like the chewed gum lesson and stuff. I heard of it, but I never actually had that. But I had the $20 lesson where, you know, you, you, your value is, your value is inherent regardless of circumstances. So that is a good lesson. But yes, there are very contradictory lessons within. Yeah, yeah so confusing. And it's not even just that. There's so many things that I've been finding, like, as I've been like, on this journey about the church and learning new things, I'm like, there's so much that doesn't make sense because you say this, but you're also saying this, but don't go together. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And they're, they're so dogmatic in their approach too. like, um, you know, Gordon V. Hinckley was like, I think one of his talks was like, it's either true or it's not, you know, like black or white, right or wrong, you know? So the church is so dogmatic in so many of their approaches you know, right, wrong, black, white, it's really, really hard when they have something contradictory to itself. Cause it's like, well, well, which one's right? Because one's gotta be right, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's hard. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. And, and my, my parents kind of, like I was mentioning earlier, were always very, very, um, um, strict about the things that the prophet would say. And like, when we would have, you know, general conference, I grew up in California, so we've never, you know, actually went to the general conference in person. Now I live in Utah, so that's such a normal thing. But <laughs> growing up in California, that was not a thing. We watched it all on TV. Um, but I remember, like, my mom would print out all kinds of stuff for us kids to, like, take notes. And, like, um, when certain speakers were talking, we would, like, find the picture of that speaker and we would, like, color his tie the way that it looked on TV. Like, I loved that as a kid. Like I was such a creative, like visual person. Like that 
that was so fun for me. I love that she did that. Um, but that's awesome. And that's such a Mormon thing for you too. <laughs> I know it totally is. Um, but, uh, so yeah. And, but you know, we, my dad would do like a huge like breakfast in the morning and he would make like pancakes and eggs and sausage and bacon and other family members would come over and you know, it, it was a huge thing. Um, but like, if we were to like pass out on the couch and fall asleep, like in the middle of conference, they actually like wouldn't mind if you did that, which I remember being surprised. I always thought like I assumed that they would want us to stay awake and pay attention, but it, sometimes you fall asleep. But if the prophet was getting on to speak, you know, they're waking you up and telling everybody to come into the room to like listen um, because everything he said was a hundred percent from the mouth of God in their eyes. Um, and you know, nowadays I'm like, you know, that's a human being. He's got his own feelings and emotions too, like, and his own beliefs. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to know when, when they're talking as a prophet and when they're talking as a man, mm -hmm. you know? So like anytime that we look back on those contradictory lessons or anytime we look back on the the contradictory teachings of the prophets they're like oh well that's he was talking as a man yeah. you know he wasn't talking as a prophet then yes but then, yeah. so it's like yeah that's what my biological dad's been saying it's hard to know it is and he's like i was messaging my biological dad about it because i was just like had a lot of like questions about different things and I always thought that he was like super smart and knew stuff about like church history and I realized he didn't and I was like oh I came to the wrong person <laughs> but he's very um what's a nice word for arrogant <laughs> <laughs> um yeah he was he was mean I'll get on to that more since that was more of a recent thing I'll <laughs> I'll bring that into the the proper timeline later but um yeah so an interesting part of that story when, you know, this family member went to jail was, I didn't know this before, but my dad recently told me that there were other ward members and people who found out about what happened, or at least had like a general idea, and told my parents that, um, that they made the wrong choice in sending this person to jail because that's like a family member and I remember thinking like I remember having somebody else tell me that at that time I didn't know ward members were saying stuff like that to my parents but I remember experiencing people saying that to me and I even had a grandpa who said that and he was like very upset that my and was like putting all this blame on my dad and was like, I can't believe he would do that to a family member. And he's just like going on and on. And I remember in my mind, I was just like, what about me? What about my little sister? And so, and it actually came out a little bit later, like as more like court dates happened and, you know, trying to figure out what, you know, this person's um, like punishment was going to be, what, his, what he was going to get. Um, and they gave him a piece of paper and they had him write down. They said, like, write down everything that you did. And he wrote a ton of stuff about um, also sexually abusing my little brother, who was 
four. Um, so all of his, like, all of us <laughs> just got it. And I had no idea. I wouldn't have even guessed at that time. My mind wouldn't have thought about two boys together at that time in the family I was raised in. I wouldn't think of that. And so I remember that being really confusing for me. I also had like lesbian aunts that I always thought were best friends when I was little, mind you. <laughs> like, I always saw them together and I was like, oh my gosh, they're just besties. <laughs> like, yeah. And I grew up like, I remember, I think my parents came home from like their wedding and they had little like care packages that like were sent home and they had like their names on them together and it was like the date and all this stuff and I was like, I remember like connecting all the dots and like being like, oh my gosh, I have lesbians in my family <laughs> and I like, that's how I was raised, okay? Like that was so foreign to me. That was like not an okay thing, but obviously my parents like went to their wedding and like my parents have always been like very loving in that sense. Like they're not going to cut you off because of that. Yeah. They definitely have had their times where like they'll say things where you're like oh that's really not nice <laughs> but overall like overall like they definitely are just like you know we're all on our own paths but you know with us being children in their house and there are parents like we don't have that choice we do what they tell us to do um but anyway that same thing same thing happened to me my I have a cousin who's lesbian and she's a very mask presenting lesbian. She has the short hair. She, you know, is very, you know, masculine in her presentation. And I thought she mm -hmm. was a boy until I was like seven. And I, you know, and I knew that she had wow. a boyfriend. I mean, she had a girlfriend, but I thought she was a boy till I was like seven. And I was in the room when she was changing and she had a bra on. And it occurred to me that this whole time she was a woman and like, it was so foreign to me. Same thing. I grew up Mormon and I had no idea that that was a thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And like something that like, hasn't even like fully come to my attention until um, probably around the time I was 18 was like, ever since I was little, I was always like looking at girls in like a way where I was like feeling like I was having like physical attraction towards them. And I always thought that it was because I was little and I was experiencing like sexual things even at a really little age. And so maybe I was just noticing sexual things just like in people. And I was like trying to connect it all. And I just thought like that, I just like had this on my mind because I knew about it, even though there were like other kids my age who like probably don't have any idea what this is. So like I noticed these things in other people because I've had these experiences. That's kind of like how I like explained it. Um, and I remember like I have so many specific moments growing up where like there would be like a specific girl or like a specific scene on a, on a movie or something where I'm like like physically admiring the girl and I always thought like you know I'm my mom would say things like you know that we could admire like a female's looks in like 
wanting to look like that ourselves or be like that ourselves. And I think that was something that like actually really helped me explain like why I could like look at girls in that way sometimes. And, um, but I never like said anything to anybody about it because I really just, I really always felt like it was just like connected to the fact that like I had had like sexual trauma in yeah. the past. Um, but you know, even going into, um, high school, um, I then like started falling into like a pornography addiction because, you know, this family member before going to jail would actually, he had a pornography addiction and he had shown me things before and, um, kind of an interesting random fact about that is like it was always like this cartoon like animated type stuff that he would watch and so to this day like that kind of animation even just like on a tv show like if there's something that's like anime I'm like immediately like my chest burns like I immediately have like almost like this trauma response to just even seeing anime because of that and that still happens today um and so it's kind of interesting that like I took what had happened and I knew that it was something that I started getting I think I knew that there could be other kinds like there could be something different um and so like the interest started coming like after he was gone um of like looking myself and then I did find that there were other things than like that, like cartoon stuff. I didn't have to look at that cartoon stuff. I didn't have to look at that stuff that would like remind me of those times, but I found something that I liked. Mind you, I was 12 and I was a girl, (laughs) which I always felt like nobody, (laughs) I always felt so like I'm the only girl that does this. um, Yeah. You felt alone because, because you don't, it's it's not taught that women are allowed to be sexual. <laughs> yeah, it is not. You know, um, the the men, the boys are the sexual ones, and the women are the ones that are, and the girls are supposed to keep the boys in line. Yeah, like we're not allowed to be sexual or have sexual thoughts, but that's just as normal for us as it is for boys. Yeah, and my mom always told me like she would tell me when I needed to like pull up my shirt or if my shorts were too short and we needed to buy new shorts because I'm getting too tall and now they're shorter or. Um, even like the type of like underwear that I would pick out at the store, like, um, as I got into high school, I didn't want some like character underwear anymore. Like <laughs> I wanted like, and she was just like, why do you want this underwear? And I was like, cause it makes me feel good. She's like, who's it for? <laughs> and she was like, so, and it's for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was definitely, um, a big thing for me and like through that like pornography addiction um it you kind of like find different things like I I experienced pretty much like right off of the bat um how that can become a dangerous cycle um I think it's different for everybody I honestly believe that that because I know some people are like pornography is so bad and some people feel like it it's not And I really feel like it depends like on the person and your situation. If you find that this is something that's like addictive and you need it and you can't stop kind of thing, that's obviously not healthy. If you think this is like giving you ideas to help you in your sex life and your marriage, then 
maybe that's fine. Like, so I, that's kind of like how I see it, but pretty much right off the bat, I realized how I could get bored with something and want something that was like more interesting. And then I would get bored and I'd want something that was more interesting. And I, it just kind of gets you like curious and looking into all different things. And then I started like specifically going towards like just wanting to see girls all the time. And I remember I actually opened up to my mom about it at one point because this started when I was 12 and there were times where I kind of like stopped a little bit, like with a lot of like mostly fear of getting caught like on my devices. Cause our parents were like very, very like strict about our devices. And a lot of times they would have us like plug everything in, in the kitchen, like before bed. So we didn't have them in our rooms and Sometimes when they would do that, I'd be like, oh my gosh, do they know? And I just had like immense fear and anxiety. So sometimes I would stop, but it, it was pretty like kind of this on and off thing until I was um, 15. That's when I told my mom, I was like, told her that that's, um, that that's something that I had been doing, that I had been like watching pornography, that it was something that, you know, this person had shown me in the past and that like. I found things that and realized that like I liked them and she started like explaining to me that like um she didn't believe um or I think she said she wasn't sure if she believed if people could be like born gay or not but she said that she believed that it was um a trial that some people have to deal with on earth and that Satan can use the temptation of like same-sex attraction to like try and get you like off the path that you're supposed to go down kind of thing and and she was like trying to tell me like that she wasn't judging me like she's just here for me and this is just like something that I could go through and that it was a phase and it would go away and I remember actually being comforted by that because I didn't want to have to deal with feeling those things and I was like well maybe it will just like go away maybe it'll be like you know just like typical high school phases I went through a phase where I wore all black and just listened to screamo music all the time (laughs) so like I was just like maybe this is like some type of thing and it'll like go away and never did to this day spoiler alert but (laughs) but I um I mean I obviously have always had attraction towards men physically and romantically and I dated boys in high school and I'm married (laughs) to a man right now. So happily married. Um, But uh, yeah, I, I actually dated this boy um, around the same time that I talked to my mom about like this, like pornography that I had been watching. Um, I started dating this boy that was actually in college when I was 15. I felt so cool. I remember I was like, if anything happened where we would like get in a fight or like want to talk about like breaking up or something, I remember the sole reason I did not want to was because I felt I liked the image of having a college boyfriend when I was a sophomore in high school. I thought that made me look so cool. And it wasn't even the fact that like I wouldn't have like him as a person anymore. It was that I wanted the picture. Um, I didn't realize that, um, until we actually did 
breakup and I went through and like process all the stuff I was like oh my gosh like I was really just doing that for for like an image thing like not to say that I never had any feelings for him I definitely did we dated for like a year in high school and I remember telling my mom that he was my math tutor when he came over <laughs> he was helping me with my <laughs> homework awesome. and my mom like a few years later was talking to me and she's like oh yeah your math tutor and just like roll her eyes and I was like <laughs> She's like, I know everything you did. She's like, I know he was coming through your window. And I was like, she's like, dad saw him hop out of the window one morning. And I was just like flushed with like red skin. That like they knew the whole time and never said anything. And I like don't, I think they had like, when it came to like sexuality, they had rules and they had boundaries and they were like vocal about them. But I think at the same time, they didn't really know what to do or how to react because I had experienced so much like sexual trauma that they kind of like didn't really know like if they should tell me like what to do specifically or if they thought like well she's like 15 and 16 like she's not gonna like listen to us like if we like you can't have this boyfriend like what's she gonna do be like okay and then just sneak behind our backs like and so I just kind of wonder if that's what it was but um I mean, he came to my little brother's baptism and bought him, like, this gift at his, like, there was, like, a big party after his baptism, like, at our house, and I remember he, like, brought my little brother, like, this giant Nerf gun thing, and so, like, he was, like, very, like, actively my boyfriend, and I ended up, like, telling my parents at one point, like, that obviously he wasn't, uh, you know, my tutor, but he actually, mind you, he actually was <laughs> helping me with math, because... I really struggled and he was obviously at a higher like level of math than me. So it kind of worked out. But um, yeah, I had no idea that my parents knew that he was like sneaking into my bedroom like and spending the night and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I ended up doing that kind of thing because I it, it kind of gotten to a point where I just kind of felt like that you know, worth in me that like purity didn't exist. And so it didn't matter anymore. And so I felt like, and at that point, like I'm far enough into puberty where I'm obviously like so down for these like feelings. And I know, I know what it's like. I know what to do. And like now I'm old enough and have like gone through puberty and like now have more of the like physical and mental feelings like attached to it now and so I was like so just like I wasn't even scared like I, I like I remember just being at a point where I was just like ready and excited that's just like and I feel like I didn't really know a lot of other people like that I feel like I had friends who were just like mm, just like wanted to lose their virginity kind of thing um, but we're like so nervous and not knowing what to do and all this stuff. And that was not me. I was like, but mind you, again, I grew up in California in a place where like being Mormon was not normal. Nobody knew what that meant. Like if I told anybody that I was Mormon or member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, whatever, like LDS, no one would know what I'm talking about. Like that's where I grew up. Yeah. Um, we, 
Yeah, I grew up in Ohio, so yeah. <laughs> same thing. Not a not a large Mormon area. Yeah. It's so weird living in Utah now and seeing like the biggest difference ever. It's like if you're not Mormon, people are like, What? <laughs> Raise right? your eyebrow. <laughs> not like it's like necessarily like like it doesn't happen. Like we don't assume every single person in Utah is Mormon, but honestly, like you kinda do assume a lot of times, like when you're talking to people. Um but yeah, no one knew what that was and I remember getting to a point where I would just kind of like say that I was Christian because then people would understand. But there were times where I still like didn't say that and I still like um would explain like the church and everything and I remember having a friend who was like really interested in that and um she had like spent the night at my house one day and she like asked if we had coffee in the morning and I was like no we don't we don't drink coffee we don't have coffee and she's like I remember she's like girl why (laughs) and I was like I was like I was like well we're Mormon we're not supposed to drink coffee and she's just like what (laughs) And so it turned into a whole thing. I remember feeling like such a missionary at the time. I was like, like feeling so good about myself. I was like, I'm sharing the gospel. Um, so, That's awesome. Uh, but um, I remember showing her like some video on the church's website. And it's like something about like titles, like bullying, stop it or something like that. It's, it's about, it has like one of the apostles voices in the background from some talk that he gave talking about like bullying and you know, all of this stuff. Um, Sounds like Duke Dwarfs. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she saw the video and she was like, she's like, that is the sweetest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and she just like, she fell in love with all of the, stuff that's easy to fall in love with all of the good stories and things about how amazing we are and how uh, perfect we are and like when just I mean which is another like contradictory thing because we're also told that you know we're all sinners sometimes too so (laughs) depends but she she got all the really good fluff um Cause there is, there's a lot of good things that I learned from the church, a lot of good morals and values that I have to this day. Um, but there's obviously, you know, a lot that I didn't realize at the time, but now no are very sickening, I guess you could say, um, life altering. Um, but that's why it's hard because there is so much good and we're taught, you know, it's black and white. So the church does good and does all this good. And they play up like, look at all this good we do. So it must be good. It's, it must be all good. But then they try to hide or, or push back or whatever the bad things that have happened within the church, within the history or whatever. And, and they try to downplay that because, well, the church is true. So none of that really matters, but that's where it's hard. That dogmatic thinking that's, ingrained in us and indoctrinated into us is black right right or wrong and that's yeah. where it, when it conflicts like that it's it's hard <laughs> yeah and that's kind of like where my dad is at right now my dad has been somebody who's been like really helpful with talking to me um about some of this stuff and 
I'll bring up like Joseph Smith and all of these things that I was learning that, you know, <laughs> I could get into later, but he was just like kind of talking about how, you know, personally, he just felt like it was stuff from the past. It's nothing about today. Like I have, like, I have like my own testimony of the Book of Mormon that's made me feel good. And I know that like, it's true. And that's like enough for me, but like, he would still encourage me. He's still been like very kind and like encouraging and just like, if you want to learn about this stuff, learn about it and ask questions. And if you don't like the answers that you're finding, maybe your path is elsewhere, which five to 10 years ago, he would not have said anything like that. He's a very different person today than he was uh, growing up. But um, yeah, so it's been very, he's been like my favorite person to talk to about all this stuff. And he's like, very active in the church. I was very fearful of him a lot growing up because of how strict he was. Um, he had a lot of like physical forms of punishment, um, that definitely had gone too far on multiple occasions. He'd like push my brother down the stairs cause he wasn't getting up for, um, seminary in the morning. He'd like try dumping like ice water on him. And if he wasn't getting up, he like pulled him out of bed and like pushed him down the stairs we were definitely like when we get in trouble we were like hit with like belts and um that was more so when i was like younger as we got a little bit older my mom started learning more and like read this like parenting book and decided that that was horrible and like stopped that um but um my dad still did like little things that definitely weren't like illegal it was just like mean or he would just like, he'd grab our ears. Like when he was mad, he would grab our ears and like pull us to like a place where he was like mad about something. Like if there was a mess that we left out, he'd like grab our ear and like walk us to where the mess is. And it's just like, what is this? Like, why is this here? Or like, and that was usually like if he already asked us to do it and we did it, then he would get frustrated and do that. Um, and, but honestly, like, the hardest parts for me with, like, him growing up were just, like, he did not like to communicate. He didn't, um, that was my mom's, like, biggest struggle with him, too, was, like, the lack of communication. Um, he would just internalize everything, which would cause him to just be very impatient and to snap and blow up. Um, and that, I became very fearful of that, um. And so, and I think that's also like part of the reason that I have been a people pleaser is like in fear of like getting in trouble or having something happen. And I still do that to this day with my husband. My husband is like the kindest man I've ever met. And I will still like, if I want to say something like that he might not like, I kind of like walk on eggshells, like trying to get it out and like, He'll see me because I literally, like, my body literally starts, like, clamping up when I'm, like, trying to talk. And I'll just be, like, kind of playing with my nails or, like, not making eye contact. And he has never, ever even slightly raised his voice at me. Like, he's not that kind of person. He has, like, never just, like, directly said anything just straight up rude intentionally to me. Like, and I just still have this, like ingrained in me to like fear the response of 
something I'm asking a man. Like if I'm asking a man something in fear of like what his response might be, it's just kind of like, let's have that. And I don't do that with just my husband. It's really like, it's probably like most men, like I will have, I will fear like a reaction that they might have. Um, and my dad to this day, he has gone through like a lot of therapy and he has recognized a lot of those things and he's like he's actually like he's he was the dad that doesn't cry saw him cry like twice my whole life and even recently he kind of started getting like choked up like talking to me about the way he did certain things growing up and how regretful he is about it and how much it like hurts him to this day and so he's very very different and I we have a great relationship um but yeah um okay let's let's get back on my timeline I'm, ha I'm happy I wrote things down so that I don't forget <laughs> <laughs> um so around this time where I'm um 15 I had another family member um molest me oh goodness and this was um I don't care to share his identity because I don't have the greatest feelings towards him. He's still not a great person. So I really don't care. But, um, so he was my sister's like now ex-husband, but they were married at the time. This is the one who sat with me and made me feel comfortable about, um, being able to find, finally say everything about, you know, the abuse that had been happening my whole life. Um, and because he oh made God. me feel so comfortable, yeah, he ended up being somebody that I put all of my trust into and I confided in him about everything. I struggled with a lot of like depression and anxiety and I was like hurting my own body. I was not caring about like anybody or anything like he definitely went through like a very, very dangerous um, level of depression at that time and he was helping me find like better ways to like cope and manage my emotions. And, um, because he was trained in that, he knew what to say. He knew how to do it all. I remember there was a night where, um, he came into my room and I was kind of having a hard time. So I just like shut the door and I had the light off and I was just laying like on top of my, my made bed and I was just sitting there thinking about stuff and he came in and shut the door and came in like lied next to me. And he was just talking to me. He was letting me like talk about what I was struggling with at the time. And, um, I think I was talking about like this family member who had hurt me and like, I was kind of going through a state of like confusion at that point. Um, cause there's a lot of stuff that like people would say that, was really difficult for me, um, in trying to understand everything that happened. Um, because there were some people who said that I was supposed to hate him. And there were some people who said that like, he like shouldn't have gone to jail. And there's like, I was getting so many different like things. People at school, like found out like kind of false rumors about it. Kind of one of those things where it might've started out as true information and it turned into like this whole other story. Um, but there were people at school who thought that like this family member, along with like a bunch of other people, they used the term like gang banged me. 
and they were pointing and laughing at me for having for that happening. Think and that didn't even actually happen, but they thought it did and they were pointing and laughing. So I like when I just got everybody else's reaction to what happened, it really confused me mentally because I honestly feel like I wouldn't have experienced a lot of the deeper, darker, like mental time, like times like involving um, that abuse from growing up if it weren't for the feelings and reactions of other people and other people telling me how I was supposed to feel. Um, that was really hard. Um, cause I had people who hated the idea that I would miss this family member. Cause like I was saying earlier in the beginning, like I disassociated, like I had this family member who was you know, with me all the time, was kind, funny, we had lots of fun together, we do all kinds of things together, um, and then there was, he was a different person when there was an abuser, so I didn't miss the abuse, but I missed all of the fun times with this person, and people accused me of being in love with him, and like enjoying everything that happened to me, and I remember that fuming me so much, because I I couldn't take the fact that, like, people could potentially think that this was a consensual thing and that I was in love with this person. Like, that made me so sick to my stomach that people would, like, could think that about me. And it forced me down, like, this hole of anger and, like feeling forced to like hate him and I really like really started to hate him because the things that he did were making other people think that like we were together consensually and they started like putting blame on him for like which obviously he has blame for a lot of the situation but I I was just like my mind was like a whirlwind just trying to connect all of these dots and it, it was emotionally like insane just like physically taxing on my body but um yeah so you know my brother-in-law was very um helpful in like teaching me how to like overcome some of these things and I remember him laying there and saying like I am so sorry that this happened to you I can't believe that this even happens to people and it's disgusting and I want you to know that I would never do that to you. And I was like, why would he say I would never do that to you? Why would he include that sentence that is the two of us? Like that, I remember like red flag number one, <laughs> like right there. Um, yeah. And nothing else happened after that. Like that was, that was like the end of, of that scene. Um, but I never forgot that he said that to me. That was very weird. Um, and you know, a little bit later, now we're in the middle of summer, so there's no school and him and my sister had just had a baby and, um, I wanted to go and like stay at their house for, um, a week and just spending the night and helping and like being with my new niece. And I was like so excited for her. Um, and while I was there, 
there were several occasions where my brother-in-law was like getting really, really close. Um, like he, I was laying on the couch watching a movie and my sister was like nursing her baby and putting her to sleep like in the other room. And so I'm like laying on the couch watching the movie. I remember not caring about the movie at all. I was so bored with it. But it was everything that I could put my attention on because my brother-in-law like came in and lied next to me on the couch. And it's like, it's a couch. Like if you're laying down on a couch, like there's not a lot of room to like lay another person right there. So I was yeah. just like, what in the heck? Like I was so confused. Um, but it was just like an automatic, like my body knew exactly what to do and just stopped everything. And I just stared into like the TV screen, even though I didn't care what was on. And I remember him talking about just like commenting on like my body and um, just, just like, he was just kind of saying that I was like, I was sexy and all this stuff and, and, like, my sister's in the next room over there, and I'm just, like, not knowing what to do or say. And so I was just silent and frozen. And he ended up putting his hand in my pants and, like, commented on the fact that I was shaved. So he's, like, he's... And then he started, like, saying that I did it for him. That, like, I did that on purpose because, like, I wanted him or something. Like, he was saying that to me. And I was just, like, I, I'm pretty sure I remember saying no. Like, it's just, and he, then he commented, like, oh, it's like that all the time. And, like, just weird, like, obviously. And I remember at the time, I didn't think about it as, like, abuse. At the time, I was thinking about it as, like, oh, he's cheating on my sister. Anything that could make me feel like an adult, I ate that up as a teenager. Like, so I didn't yeah. think, like, oh, I'm a child and he's abusing me. I was, like, he's cheating on my sister because, like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. So, um, but, yeah, and I remember just, like, being really uncomfortable and I was just kind of anxious and I had, um, I kind of, like, had my leg, like, cross over my other leg and like pulled up close to my body I'm I'm really weird so I have this thing called EDS and it's like my ligaments and bones like like I can stretch and flex my body in ways that like someone who does not have EDS which is the majority of the population um should not be able to do like when you see people on tv who can do like those crazy like disformation like things with their body like um I can't do that. You definitely have to like practice do that, but I, you would have to have EDS in order to do that. So like I could, if I wanted to like stretch and practice and get to a point where I could do that creepy stuff on my body. <laughs> but, um, cause it, it's just weird. And so like it was, I was in a really weird position. So even though I was still laying down, I remember one of my legs ended up crossing and coming all the way up. And I think it was like a way of trying to just like, protect like the um what's it called like the top of my pants like so that he couldn't like put his hand in there again the waistband yeah 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 and I had like this <laughs> gross I had like this scab on my ankle and I was like anxiously like picking at it 
And I know this is so weird, but you know, sometimes like if you have a scab that comes off, sometimes it like could potentially like not even bleed. And sometimes it's like this tiny thing is bleeding profusely everywhere. <laughs> That's what yeah. happened. So oh, I geez. needed a band-aid. So I was just like, um, I was asking him for a band-aid and he told me that, um, all of their band-aids were in their garage and their garage is like not attached to the house. And some of the things that he was saying to me, like prior to that, were like, he's like asking me if we should go out to the garage, like, and nobody would hear us and like all this stuff. And so like when I'm picking at the scab and I'm like asking him for a band-aid and he's like, they're only in the garage. I remember literally rolling my eyes so hard, like, like, um, and I just kept saying I didn't want to go and that I just wanted to keep watching the movie. And, um, he was just like, kind of like, come on, like, it's okay. Like nobody like will hear us. No one will know. Like, and, um, I just kept saying like, I just want to watch this movie. I just want to watch this movie. And I think it kind of turned into like him more so just like kind of physically trying to pick me up and like pull me like, come on, let's go. Like, and I like ended up just like just like submitting basically and just like went and he's like the band-aids are out there he like kind of started trying to change it into the fact that it was like more band-aids I was like why don't you go get it and bring it back he's like no you gotta like come out with me so that we can like because it has all we have all the stuff out there to like clean it or whatever and so I just went and weirdly he had a lot of band-aids out there in this garage I did not believe that he actually did um, but so I, you know, cleaned it up and I got a bandaid on there. And like, as I tried to like start walking out, he like pulled my arm back and was trying to like hug me and like nuzzle his face into like my neck and stuff. And he's like whispering things to me. And, um, he was like trying to pull my pants down. And I just kept saying like, I want to go back inside. I want to go back inside. And he was telling me that I didn't need to be nervous and that it was okay. And he was like grabbing my hand and putting it all over him and like basically like forcing me to touch him and everything. And, um, he was like asking me like very specifically like what he wanted me to do and all this stuff. And I was just like, I just want to go watch the movie. And he said something I think along the lines of like wanting to like see my butt or something and then he would let me go inside and he was like trying to pull my pants down and I kept trying to like pull away and he ended up like pulling my like waistband down to like right underneath my butt and like I at that point like really like aggressively like pulled my arm away and like walked out and I remember like as I'm trying to walk into the house, like pulling my pants back down. And a lot of this happened like near the door of the um, garage. Um, and the door was open. And I remember thinking at that time, I was like, I hope that the government has cameras out here somewhere where there's going to be proof that this happened. I remember thinking that like, I was like, I was like, I know they're watching us everywhere. How can they get access to this footage? I was like 15, like trying to think like about it. Um, and so I went inside he didn't do anything the rest of the night. He went into his 
room with my sister and the baby and um the next day we had planned to go to a water park and pretty much any time around the house that he could um like get away with like touching me in one way or another where no one would see he was doing that like the whole day so like at one point my sister needed help tying her swimsuit in the back so I was behind her as she's like facing away from me and I'm tying the back of her swimsuit. And so he then comes behind me and is like grabbing my butt and all this stuff. Like as I'm tying my sister's like swimsuit thing. And, um, you know, like I walk around to the kitchen to like get something from the kitchen and, and there's a wall that's blocking from where my sister is and where I am. So he comes in and he's doing the same thing again. And would just, like, rub himself on me. Would, like, get close to me and, like, rub himself on me. And, um, I was, I was it, doing what I knew how to do best. And that was literally act like it wasn't happening and keep going with my day. Like, I didn't make any type of reaction. I didn't say anything. Um, so that kept happening. I just ended up texting one of my friends about it. And I was just like, um kind of trying to explain what happened, but I wasn't explaining it like it was forced. Cause kind of like I was saying at that time, I just kind of like thought of it in a way where it was like, oh, my brother-in-law is like trying to cheat on my sister with me. And that's kind of like how I was explaining it in the text. And while we were at the water park, my sister borrowed my phone because her phone died and she saw those texts because I guess the friend like responded at a time where she had the phone and so she opened it and she saw these texts and she screenshotted them and sent them to my mom and like asked what she thought about it and was just like do you think she's like trying to get attention and my mom like agreed like oh she's probably like trying to get attention which I didn't take offense to that at all because that was something that I did as a teenager. I made up so many stories about like things that I would do. And like when I was 13, I said that I was like having sex with boys in the bathroom at school because I wanted attention that made me feel like I was more of an adult and I wasn't a victim. Like I remember like wanting to feel, I wanted people to know that I had control over that part of me and it wasn't somebody else even though that was something that was like huge no-no in my family. Um, I remember just wanting people to have a different image of me, even if it was that way as young as 13. Um, so I would make up stories about stuff that I was doing and, and, and all of that. And um, I remember my parents had me like confessing all of this stuff to the bishops and um, you know, the bishop supposedly is supposed to pray about it and get revelation from God about how to uh, go about this punishment. And I always got in trouble, even for things that I lied about, because, you know, that's what God would do. He's like, yep, she actually did do these things. And, but, oh, whatever. <laughs> anyway. Right. Um, so, yeah, there were several times um, where I was confessing things that I didn't actually do and was, you know, getting my, um, temple recommend taken away and not being able to take the sacrament. And, um, I legitimately remember that making me feel like adult. And I was like thinking that people were going to look at me like, Oh my gosh, she's doing like these adult things. That's how I felt. I was freaking 13, 14. Like, 
that's like twisted, but you know, I grew up weird. So like, no, I, I identify with that so much that I, I could be telling the same story. No way. I was abused as a child and then, you know, um, by my, by my brother. And then I was abused as like a young teenager by my father. And then as when I was 15 by a friend's older brother, like, and then when I was in high school, I dated like every boy that would even look my way. Mm -hmm. And I was constantly in the Bishop's office, constantly confessing. And now like as an adult looking back, I'm like, didn't the Bishop wonder if something else was going on? Like, the bishop was always just like, oh, well, we need to not be doing those things. Here's your punishments. Here's what you need to do to make it better. Did he never want that's that's where, uh, you know, untrained ministry mm-hmm. is dangerous because like you would think that would be a giant red flag if these teenage girls are having constant problems with boys. There's probably something in their past or in their private life mm-hmm. that is not OK. They probably have abuse. Yes. But. That never came up once. I've even said, like, I tell my husband even to this day, I'm just like, if they would allow women, more women to be in charge and to do these things, I feel like so much would be better because they would, like, they could see, not that, like, women are so much better than men, but most often, like, women have, like, more of that just, like, can be more in tune and sensitive to those things and like understand more they know I feel like a lot of times they know like what to say more than like a man does to like a teenage girl I had a bishop who you could tell was so uncomfortable with the things that I was telling him and was just like she needs to get out of my office like um and I've also had bishops who were like tell me more I'm loving this information so it's just like depends who you get but um yeah it's it's crazy, but, um, the leadership roulette right there. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got more stories about that too. Um, but, um, yeah, so he was doing all that. And because I saw that my sister had said all of this stuff to my mom, I ended up just going to my mom first. Cause she said like, she had messaged my sister, like, I'll talk to her like later tonight and like, I'll update you. And so I was like, I'm just going to go to her first and just like tell her what happened. And, um, she took it all like very, very well. Um, like she was like thanking me for being so honest with her and like that I was like brave to talk about these things. And, um, my dad came in the room and my mom told him what happened in like one sentence. I can't remember exactly what it was, but she was just like, Daniel was trying to have sex with her, like, while they were just there. It was like one sentence, basically. And I don't care that I said his name either, by the way. <laughs> just like, <laughs> the, the subtle resentment that's still there. Um, there's more about him later, so we'll get there. But, um, yes, and my dad was just like, like, um do you want us to press charges? Do you want us to call the police? And I said, no. And he said, he's like asking me why my mom's wanting to know why. And I said, because my sister just had a baby at home, does not have a job, relies on her husband's income for their home 
and they already struggle financially with that, where would she go? What would she do? I would be ripping their family apart. Like it would be my fault if I said something and made that all, you know, be ripped apart basically. And yeah. so I didn't want to. And my parents started, like my dad was like reminding me of what his job was, what, um, what Daniel's job was and how he works with kids. He's like, what if this is happening to other people? What if this is happening to other kids? He works with kids. And I, that, oh my gosh, considering how the last situation went, that it easily got me. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, call the police. Like, that was an easy thing for me to do at that point. Um, I was still nervous for my sister, of course, but um, we just, uh, I don't know, I just kind of had to roll with the punches, I guess, but um, my dad called them and everything and, and they lived in a different town. So I didn't see, you know, cops showing up and asking questions and stuff because, um, they did it to him at his house where I, and I wasn't there, but I remember my dad calling him and letting him know that he knows what happened and that there wasn't going to be a relationship between them anymore. Um, and that, um, Basically, he was disgusted and you're not my family anymore and like all of this stuff. And I remember that making me feel so good and so accepted and like I was protected by my dad. Um, and later down the road, he got to a point where he started questioning whether I told the truth or not and rekindled a relationship with this guy. Um, yeah, and that was always hard for me. That's hard for my sister to this day. Um, but yeah, um, so my sister didn't believe me that it actually happened. Um, uh, he denied everything and, um, said that, you know, none of that was true. And he's like, he said like, I, I might've like smacked her butt a few times and it made her uncomfortable. And that was, weirdly, that was something that, like, didn't seem weird at the time in my house. Like, he would do that in front of people. Like, it it was one thing to, like, jokingly, like, you know, when all the family's there to, like, do that to, like, your spouse. But he was doing that to me, and nobody ever seemed to think that it was weird. And so I didn't feel like I had a reason to think it was weird. So that was kind of like a way, something he was able to say to like, be like, oh, maybe that like made her uncomfortable, like, you know? And, um, so that was kind of his thing. And because it was all he said, she said, and there's no evidence, like nothing ever came of that. Um, but I mean, there was of course like other times where like, you know, we had like some detective like come and they did like a recorded interview at my house like asking me questions about it and I remember them telling me like she was like I've done this for a lot of years and I just want you to know that like I can tell that you're telling the truth and I know like I know the difference between you know when people are making things up and 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 when it's real and I I just want you to know that I, I can tell that it's real I remember that gave me a lot of comfort and like down the road I found out from my sister that when 
um, they had someone come over to record an interview at their home that they said the same thing to Daniel. And I was like, I wonder if this is like a tactic or something. Like I just had, and that was always very confusing for me. I don't know how that happened or why, but, um, yeah, so it was all nothing lined up. It was all he said, she said, so nothing happened. And, um, that's kind of, that's actually like when I decided that like I was going to take control over my own body and I wasn't just going to like be making up that I was doing these things because everybody already thinks I'm doing these things. All of it is gone. Like I'm not actually pure anyway. Like, um, I, at that time I was old enough to like actually like experience sexual pleasure and I was never able, I wasn't able to do it on my own. It was like other people were using that part of me and um, honestly, that has been something that like even affects my marriage to this day because I had to like separate from like when I'm just like freezing and just this is happening to me with other people. Like it is very easy in my marriage for like to do almost anything and like uncontrollably have like some type of flashback that ruins everything like in that moment and that has been like a very very like difficult thing um where like I remember asking like family members and trying to get advice I was like do I go to like a doctor for like medication type stuff I was like do I do I need like therapy I was like how do I make this go away like I don't want this to happen and it 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 would make my husband like sob in tears like if something happened where like I was reminded of something and he would like blame himself for it and think like I did something that made her have this flashback and he would like be filled with this like immense guilt and it was so hard for me and it, so it made me like not want to tell him anymore like if it happened and to just like act like it didn't happen and there were times where like there have been times where like I'm trying to act like it didn't happen and the flashbacks not going away as it continues and I've had I've literally like would purposely grab like pillows to put in my face to hide the fact that I was crying and he's had times where he's like caught me and then it makes him cry like please don't do that like he does not and it's like it's so so hard to this day like it's not like it's not something that's like every single time like that we're ever together that this happens it's not like that at all but it is something that does happen now and again and it's 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 hard um that is that is so hard yeah and so I just like I just wanted to create my own experiences at that time that were good and my choice. And so that's when I decided like that I'm just going to like go do these things. I was like, I did crazy things. Like I, my best friend and her boyfriend at the time, like, okay, let's see if we could follow this. So my best friend's boyfriend had a best friend. <laughs> And so 
So he brought him, my best friend and his boy and her boyfriend, um, came and like picked me up with the boyfriend's friend. So there's like two guys and two girls. It's like my best friend and her boyfriend and then me and like this guy that I don't really know him. I just know he's friends with this girl's boyfriend. Anyway, and we all like went to this lake and we're like hopping fences places. And I just think I'm so cool and dangerous. And I'm just like doing these fun things. And I'm, we're just driving around in cars everywhere. And we end up going to like another high school. And it wasn't like my best friend and I's high school, but it was her boyfriend and this other guy's high school. It was like where they went. And we literally went like hopped the fence into the school and we went into the like the football field of the school and my my best friend and her boyfriend went to one side of the field and then this other guy that I barely knew came to this other side of the field and he just like started like it was like apparently some like mutual agreement that like we were having sex on opposite sides of the field and uh, now mind <laughs> you at this point like this had been like the first time that I was like, okay, yeah, like I'm going to choose to do this for the first time. And oh my gosh, that was horrible. That was horrible. (laughs) Like the experience seems crazy. Like there's the, it's like crazy that like I would be out on this football field, like in public with other like people on the other side and like all of this stuff. And I remember like, feeling like that part of the story like made me cool I would use that part of the story to like tell friends and stuff like oh my gosh I'm like so cool I did this thing but like the actual experience itself oh my gosh I wish I could forget that part like it was horrible (laughs) and um so and I remember like I was like I'm never doing that again I'm never going to just like be with like some stranger I didn't know who he was it was weird like him like trying to kiss me and I was like I don't even know you like I was like it was it was too difficult to even like feel connection to somebody I didn't know at all it was like I remember hating that um but it was shortly after that that I met like my boyfriend that I had been with for a year that I talked about a little bit earlier and we were all like sexually active the whole time that we were together and my mom like had me on birth control and everything and I remember her telling me it was like because of my period cramps or something like I think she told my dad that too because my dad was like she's not going on birth control my mom's like do you want her to get pregnant <laughs> <laughs> like, she's like, right um, so glad they did that for me um but because I at that time I didn't know anything about like how to track my own cycle and know when it's okay and when it's not and so I would have just who knows um but <laughs> yeah so um through that like I, while I was dating this guy, I definitely, like, I didn't have any interest in the church whatsoever. I was, like, he wasn't a member. I I was, like, pretty pulled back, like, just not having any interest. It wasn't, like, oh, I don't necessarily believe these things. It was just, like, I don't really care to participate in an organized religion is what I was feeling. Um, Right. And I also didn't like all the rules as a teenager. I'm like, I don't like all of these like things telling me what to do. Um, but I remember, I don't remember how exactly this happened, but we got like a, my patriarchal blessing, like appointment set up. And I went and I met with like 
the patriarch and his wife and all this stuff. And I ended up getting my blessing and it, just like everybody else's blessing probably talked about getting married to someone in the, to a man in the temple and having kids and raising, raising them in the church. And I was like, I remember like that making me like stop and think because kind of like I was saying, it wasn't necessarily that I didn't believe in the church at the time. I just like didn't feel like participating and going and all that stuff. So like when it said that I was going to marry someone in the temple, like for me, I was always taught that the patriarchal blessing is like, it's telling you your future. And so right. like you're wasting your time That's with this guy because he's not a member. And so it's Mormon fortune telling. Mm-hmm. And so I was like kind of pulling back from the relationship a little bit at that point because I was just started feeling like I was going to be wasting my time. And, um, I ended up finding out that like he was cheating on me for like probably like three or four months with another girl and was like sexually active with her while he was with me. And I had no idea. I'm like telling my mom, I'm like, I need to go to Planned Parenthood. I need to get checked. <laughs> it was like this whole thing. But, um, so we ended up like splitting up and I, the blessing like really did have like a big impact on my life. Cause it had me like thinking about stuff like uh, very deeply. And it talked about like avoiding the like dangers of pornography on there, which was something that had been like hard on and off for me. And like, um, I remember that, that, that specifically because it was so specific to something that I had been struggling with for a lot of years that like, which mind you, I feel like a lot of teenagers, maybe not as many girls, but I feel like a lot of teenagers probably like struggle with that. So I'm just like, I just like, but anyway, I just think like, it felt so real to me and it felt yeah. like it was like telling me what I was supposed to do and where I was supposed to go. And, and that like, as long as I was doing the things that like the church told me I needed to be doing that I would have like this perfect life. And so I really decided to like start trying at that point. And I asked my parents if I could go to EFY, which I think they call it something else now. It's like FSY. Yeah. Now it's FSY. For strength youth. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I asked them to go and I remember my mom was like, you want to go to that? Cause she knew I was like, I don't want to go to church. I'm so angry, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and she's like, you want to go to that? I was like, yeah, it just seems like really fun. And, like, it's in Utah, and I can, like, stay at, you know, Aunt Katie's house, like, and, because she lives really close to this place, and, um, like, my parents just, like, I wasn't sure if they were gonna let me because of, like, how much it cost, and it was, like, very last minute, like, it was probably, like, the last day to even be able to, like, get, you know, reserved, like, to go, and they did it, and I guarantee it's because I had been, like, so angry, like, towards a church and not wanting to go and then all of a sudden wanted to do this I bet you they were just like do it <laughs> like she needs it kind of thing so I went and I remember feeling like it was like so life-changing like I met all of these friends and um they had like this uh testimony meeting where everybody got to get up and like just like say whatever they want and I remember I had like gotten up and I was talking about some of the lessons that we had like learned earlier in the week and how they like impacted me and like strengthened my testimony in different ways. And I talked about how 
about like our um, physical bodies and how like I've been recognizing like a pattern of a lot of people our age at the time who were just like hating their bodies and I wish this was different I wish that was different and I talked about how like our bodies were like molded and created like by like Heavenly Father or Jesus Christ and that we were just like we were created like like we're his art basically and like if you are you know looking in the mirror and saying like I'm ugly this or I I feel I wish this was different kind of thing that you're insulting like God's creation you're insulting like what he created and that like you know he's God like he created everything he's like you know the master artist all this stuff like don't disrespect his art like you're beautiful I remember like being up there just like um and I made like some comment about like when you look in the mirror um saying something like basically affirming yourself and like saying positive things about yourself and your body and it became a hot topic like throughout the whole EFY like you know congregation that was there um throughout the rest of the week about you know everybody started talking about what I was saying up there and like about looking in the mirror and like affirming yourself and that you're worthy and you're all of these things and that made me feel so good and so affirmed that like I I like made an impact on 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 people and um you know my whole life I was taught that if anything feels good it's the spirit like if you feel good that's the spirit always and so I I remember feeling like oh my gosh I'm just like through the roof with feeling the spirit and all this stuff and um, I told my mom that I wanted to be homeschooled because I didn't want to be around like all the people at school who are uh, cussing and having sex with everybody and doing drugs and all this partying and, and all this stuff. And I just wanted to be at home where like our, we're like centered around Christ in our home and all this stuff. And I was able to like convince her in that way. I remember loving homeschooling in the sense that like I finished all my schooling for like on Monday. I would just do it for the whole week and then I wouldn't have anything the rest of the week. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so like it, it felt like this huge life changing thing for me. And I was like reading my scriptures every day and praying and doing like everything in my power to like be what I was always told was the best thing that you could be. Um, and I... You know, I had gone to the bishop again and I talked about everything with my boyfriend and I talked about what had happened prior to that with that one boy and my best friend. Um, and I told him all of these things and I, I had everything taken away, I think for like three months or something like that. Um, and I think a lot, I've heard people like get much more like severe punishments, but I think I've heard that more in people who are like, older than me at that time because I was like 15 or 16 or like I think I was 16 when this happened and so I feel like I didn't get like as big of a punishment as I heard other people getting for doing stuff like that I've heard people getting like six months to like a year for like being sexually active with somebody but um yeah so that happened and and I remember like the feeling of like being able to get my temple recommend back and wanting to go to the temple and do all these things and 
I really did. I really did truly feel like a lot happier. And I, I just believe like I was in a bad relationship. I was in a bad place mentally. I, and really, I just decided to start trying to be happier. And I think that's why ultimately like things started like looking up was because like, I believed that I was doing the things that were right because I was always told that these were the right things. And so it made me feel good and confident to know that I was like worthy in the eyes of all of these people. And I was like, I started realizing that I enjoyed the the good attention from people for like doing the right thing much more than I prior had enjoyed the negative attention, like from doing the things I wasn't supposed to, like this was better. And so I carried that on with me um, for a long time. I turned 18 and I moved to Hollywood um, and I lived with my biological dad there. And um, I went to school for like modeling and acting and singing. And I was having the time of my life. I worked with Kevin Hart. I like to, I like to name drop him <laughs> easy. <laughs> He's the most famous person I ever worked with. And I was like, I met Kevin Hart, guys. I was on a show with him. I was on one episode of a show with him. And I had zero lines, but I was in a lot of frames. <laughs> you could see me. That's amazing. Um, but that was so, so fun for me because because I went to the school that like taught you how to move up. Like if you want to do acting, I learned so much and I implemented everything that I was like getting jobs like easy and it was like th then I got this job with like Kevin Hart and I don't know if you've heard of Rhett and Link on YouTube but they were there too they were a part of this whole like episode and they have like millions of subscribers on YouTube and like so I was like oh my gosh like I'm moving up so fast I'm meeting all these like amazing people and I'm I'm doing all these amazing things and it's because I am Christ-like <laughs> I'm just like um but um yeah, and I, so I ended up um, getting this, like, LDS dating app called Mutual, <laughs> and I, you create, like, this profile, and it's, like, the Mormon tender <laughs> that's, like, in your area, and um, I feel like I, one of the interviews that I just finished, that I, I just, it hasn't been published yet, that person yeah. talked about that same app. <laughs> No way. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my dad uh, met his current wife with that app because he heard about it from me where I met my husband. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know when it came out, but um, yeah, everybody in my singles ward was talking about it when I was like, you know, down in the LA area. Um, but yeah, there was a time um, in my singles ward where um, there was a guy who reached out to me and he was just like, Hey, like a bunch of us are getting together. We're going to go to this restaurant and just like hang out kind of like this big group date kind of thing. Um, I was wondering if you'd want to go with me and I was like, yeah, that would be fun. Like, and he offered to pick me up. So he picked me up and like, while we're in the car, he like starts vaping and he, like, asks me if I've ever vaped before. And I was, like, no. And he's, like, do you want to? I was, like, no. <laughs> like, And he's, like, come on. And he keeps, like, shoving it over to me, like, while he's driving. And I was, like, I don't want to. And I'm, like, swatting his hand away. 
and he's like laughing and honestly I I think I was like subtly laughing too in like a people pleasing way but I was very annoyed I was like just kind of swatting his hand away um but he like he did it at one point where he like shoved it like into my like it didn't go all the way into my mouth like where you're like where I like did it or anything but he like sh- like shoved it into my mouth where it like hurt my lips yeah and then I got really angry and I just like I was like I don't want to do it stop like I was like very firm in what I said so he he stopped and he was just laughing and um he just kept talking about how he wanted to be like my boyfriend and like wouldn't it be so funny if we just like got together and we just like told everybody in the world all this stuff and he's like it's like you should hold my hand and we'll take a picture on snapchat and just see what people will say it'll be so funny like all this stuff and I'm just like mm, not interested sorry <laughs> I was like I'll be your friend but um like I was not interested in him at all um really I was like I went with him and was participating in like the idea that like a bunch of people from our ward that we were all friends with were like getting together to hang out it wasn't like I didn't think of it as like this is a date for just us kind of thing I guess um but he ended up taking me to like this back alley behind a building not a restaurant and he ends up actually going inside through this door at one point and I don't know what he's doing. And I end up like getting out and I go into the door to see what he's doing. I I really don't understand. Because we were like behind a building where there's like nobody. But they one of the buildings had like this back door. And he went in and there were, there were like other people in there. And he seemed to be friends with them. And they were like playing like these card games in there. And I remember just like sitting there like wondering what the heck I was doing there. I had no idea why I was there. It felt like forever. I was, like, texting my friend. I was, like, I don't even know why he took me here. I'm so confused. Like, and she was, like, she said something in a way of, like, warning me about this guy and that he's gross and to, like, um, like, she's, like, get out of there now. And I was, like, he picked me up. And she's, like, tell him to take you home. And I was, (laughs) like, I'm not confident enough to say that. (laughs) Like, um, but, um, the other guys like ended up leaving and he ended up like going back out to the car and um he like stopped me by the car and he like tried to start like kissing me and all the stuff and I was kind of like pulling away and I was just like I'm just like not interested and I was like I was like let's just go like let's just go to like where are we supposed to go what restaurant is it like even though at this point I assume that there's no restaurant I like still just like find that as a way to like bring something else up and I'm like come on like let's just go to this restaurant and he's just like no he's like well let's just stay here like let's just like it could be fun like if you just hang out like the two of us and I'm just like I'm like no I just like kind of want to like it was just a bunch of like that back and forth and he ends up being like a little bit more um aggressive and like wanting to like kiss me and like trying to like kiss like my neck and stuff and I'm I'm getting to the point where like I feel like my body is gonna freeze but I'm trying not to like I'm like trying to keep that like like freeze mode like from happening and I'm kind of like just kind of awkwardly trying to pull my body away and like pull away and he would like grab my arm and like pull it back And so I would just kind of try and pull away again. 
And I remember he like grabbed my arm again and he like put it all over himself to like make me feel him and all this stuff. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like honestly, out of any interaction I've ever had, like this was like the first time that I had ever like tried to pull away with like this much like strength and it didn't work. Like he got even more aggressive. Um, and I was like, I just had the confidence to like basically try to physically pull away harder than I ever have. And it didn't work. So nothing I do is going to work is what I like told myself. And so it turned into just like, um, I was where I was just like a little bit frozen and I wasn't doing anything like back. I was just kind of standing there and he ended up like opening his like back car door and like all of the seats and everything were like down. So it was like flat back there. And he was telling me to go in there. And I was like, I was like, why don't we like pull the seats up? Like, why are these down? Even though I'm like, I'm just like being dumb on purpose. Like just trying to like, um, and he's like, I just want to leave them down. Then there's like room to like lay down and hang out. And I'm just like, "Mm, okay. (laughs) And, um, So we're in the car now and he's doing the same things and I'm still just kind of like mostly frozen and he ends up like grabbing my neck and I remember like kind of trying to pull his hand off a little bit and he just like held onto my neck tighter when I tried to pull it away where like I could still breathe but I was losing the amount of air that could come out and basically at that point I fully like submitted and I I wasn't even frozen anymore I was just like I'm just going to take part at this point and like basically try to get it over with faster if that makes sense like I'm just gonna submit and I'm just gonna like make this be over and um So I remember thinking, you know, this is all my fault. I'm going to lose my recommend again and and all of this stuff. And I went to my bishop at the time. And and mind you, I've loved this bishop even to this day. I love him. (laughs) Um, But he was a new bishop of the ward at the time. So I didn't like know him very well. Um, But I, I went in and I was like confessing, expecting to lose my recommend, talking about what happened. And he was just, like, silent the entire time until I stopped. And he said, Do you realize that you were assaulted? Wow. And I'm like, Um, well, I kind of, like, technically, like, actively participated at a certain point. And he's like, Because you feared for your life. And he's like, And he's, I could like cry talking about this man for like validating me so much and protecting me where like I could have ended up in a situation with a bishop who did say it was my fault and did take away my recommend and let this guy like get off with nothing kind of thing. Um, Because I have heard stories about that. And I'm just like, I was so happy that that didn't happen to me. And then I had a bishop who like protected me and was like literally kicked this guy out of the ward. Um, Because multiple other girls, yeah, there were more girls who came forward saying that he did the same thing to them. 
And I had like just the following day, like I had handprint like bruises all on my neck. You could see like a hand on my neck. And I remember certain people thought that they were like hickeys on my neck at first. Um, which honestly there might've been from like a certain point of it. But I like when I was able to tell them what it actually was and then they could see it and they're like, Oh my gosh, that is a hand. Like, and I'm like, yeah. Um, Wow. But that's awesome. I have a journal entry in my phone that's like been saved. Every phone upgrade I've had since then it just saves it in my notes from the iCloud. And I just like sometimes will find that note where I am like talking like so horribly about myself because I was had so much blame on myself for it. Um, but yeah, so that happened and, and, um, I, I ended up finding like another guy on the mutual app who actually lived in Arizona and I connected with him really well. We were chatting a lot. I thought he was like really fun and cute and, um, decided like, I thought it would be cool if we could like meet up in person and like hang out in person. And, um, this was like, he lived like six hours away from me. So I decided to like just plan it basically. And I just drove all the way to where he was, um, and found out that he was a completely different person in person. Um, he, and he, he would tell me these stories. Like he told me about how he like threw boiling water on his mom when he was mad at her once. Wow. Yeah. And he's just talking about, he's like, he's like, I just can sometimes have like anger problems and that's why I'm like getting medication for it. And I was like, whoa, it is insane how people can be so different in person than online (laughs) or like, cause we would even, we even had times where we would like video chat and it was not like that. It was just kind of like flirty and like talk about, you know, where I want to live one day, (laughs) my dream jobs, like, I don't know. And so, um, yeah, he, it was crazy. And, and I remember like, I was okay with like kissing him at the time. Like he wanted to like kiss me and stuff. And I was okay with that. That was like prior to him telling me about his mom thing. Like when I first got there, I was fine with that. And he kept like wanting to go further. Now, mind you, this guy is like temporarily home from his mission. He's supposed to go back out. And, um, he just like keeps, uh, trying to ask to go further. And I remember like I was on my period and I was like, I don't want to like, I'm uncomfortable with that. I've never done that before. That like seems crazy to me, like just because I had never done it. And, um, it ended up being like a situation where I just kept saying I didn't want to. And it was like constantly like begged for. And, even though I continuously said that I didn't want to, it got to a point where he was just kind of like telling me like, you know, you want to and kind of taking my pants off anyway. And I never, I didn't say anything about, I didn't try to pull away. I didn't like say no to him at that point. Like it, it was kind of like, I just froze and let it happen and, um, waited for it to be over. And, in that situation, like still to this day, I've never been able to like wrap my head around like 
whether or not that was like a forced situation or did did I did I choose to do this or like I still can't wrap my head around like that story that's always been very confusing spot for me um but yeah it certainly, luckily, certainly sounds like it was forced like yeah especially I, if you told him multiple times that you didn't want to yeah it's it's hard because I feel like in my mind I'm like I was saying I didn't want to but then I just like let it happen anyway and I think he just like it's so hard because it's almost like I think after something like that has happened so many times in my life it kind of like got to a point where it was like am I just like putting blame on boys all the time like am I like being exaggerative like because this doesn't happen this many times to people like that's kind of like what I was thinking but luckily after that you know he tried to propose to me and everything I was like no <laughs> but um luckily after all of that ended I actually met my husband on the mutual app he lived in Utah I was in California the only reason we were able to like see each other on the app was because the exact same time that his family was driving to Southern California for a Disneyland trip I was driving to Utah um, to visit some of my family and we crossed pathways to where our distance was able to like put us together and be able to see each other on the app we literally passed in the same day and um wow we like hit it off like really really fast and we were like you know video chatting all the time like staying up all night long into the next morning and now he's going to work and like never slept because we were talking the whole time and um I remember being like scared to fully allow myself to like get huge feelings for him because of what had happened prior and how like he was a completely different person in real life. And I was like, I just don't feel like that's going to happen with him. Like he's just so amazing and so nice. And then I was like, okay, it was, it's actually a little bit too perfect because I've never met anybody like him in my life. Something has to be wrong. Like, and, um, I, I remember starting to like feel more and more for him before I'd even like, met him in person and I think it had been like about a month now of us just like chatting over this um well we weren't on the app anymore we had switched to like phones and like FaceTime and stuff but it it'd been like about a month and I was just like like felt like I had feelings like so deeply and like I was like okay I'm gonna have to tell him about all of my past and like my sexual history because this man is like obviously a very active member of the church and I've been rejected a thousand times from people because I was the chewed gum or licked cupcake. Like nobody wanted that. Like, and so, and I was scared that my feelings would increase and that I would feel really, really hurt later if, you know, I were to wait to tell him something like that. So I remember like telling him, everything from like the abuse to like making my own decisions to like all of these things and um I remember his response made me cry because nobody had ever said anything like that to me he just said 
that all of the decisions that I made in the past, the decisions that I made were very valid and understandable considering what had happened to me and that none of that has anything to do with like my worth or who I am or the kind of person that I want to be and that none of that matters. And he's like, what matters to me is who you are right now and who you are right now, everything that I know, I just love everything about you. Like, and that none of that is going to have any type of effect. Like if anybody thought that that was a reason to leave, like <laughs> that's a dick basically. Like they're um, right. So, and I remember like crying because nobody, nobody had ever treated me in that way and had said those things to me. And, um, I remember, yeah, I want to like, yeah, clap for your husband, that's that's a good man. Yeah, I just, um, yeah, he's, he's amazing. Um, and you know, I ended up moving to Utah. I just like, I had known that like at one point I wanted to move there. I wanted to be there. I had a lot of family there. Growing up Mormon, I was really interested in the schools that were there. I always wanted to go to the University of Utah. I know most Mormons are like BYU, but I really wanted to go there. And um, my husband's family, they were like big University of Utah fans. They were the ones that had like read everything and they're the dad of the family like went there and he worked for them or something like all this stuff. So he was like so excited to like, meet another member of the church that like liked that school over at BYU it was so funny but um so yeah and I so I was like it was a hard decision for me to make because I knew at that time that I wanted to do like acting and singing and that's that's just what that's what I was passionate about and that's what I've been like working towards and I was like moving up really fast like the job where I worked with Kevin Hart was like a paid job and like that a lot of times takes a lot of work when you first get to LA, you're doing a lot of stuff for free to like build your resume up um, in your portfolio and everything. So it's like, I had, it was a big decision for me to make. And I ultimately decided to go. I had an aunt who had an empty bedroom and she's like, yeah, you could like come. And as soon as you get a job, like you can start like paying like monthly, like for the room, like a cheap price. Um, And so I did that. And, the day that I moved there, um, Colin, my husband, like came and knocked on the door. My aunt's house was the same town that he lived in the exact same town, like Sandy, (laughs) Sandy, Utah. Like he lived like (laughs) two minutes away. And so small world, I know. (laughs) And so he came over and he knocked on the door and he, um, he helped me with like some of my like unpacking and stuff. And, uh, we ended up going to his house and like his family was there and everything. So it wasn't like, I mean, it was like semi weird. Cause it's almost like meeting the family on the first like date there, but I didn't really like meet everybody. Like everybody just kind of like saw me. And then like, we went into like their basement. Cause they have like this huge like theater area in there. And, we went down there and we were watching movies and we were just talking and all this stuff. And, um, we were together every single day until our wedding day, like, which wasn't a long time. (laughs) Like (laughs) the day that I moved to Utah was January 
it was like January 2nd or 3rd, I think. And then we decided that like, we didn't want to be with anybody else but each other on like the 7th. And then February, like 23rd, I think, um, he, what's it called? I think it's or February 26th. I think he proposed to me, um, at like flight park in Draper, Utah, which is like a place where you can go up and you see like all the city lights at nighttime. And he did like, like a bunch of candles in the snow that like formed a heart and it had like rose petals all over it. And like, I had told him so many times that like, I loved city views because I grew up in like a farm town and I didn't really get to see that kind of thing. So if I could go somewhere up high at nighttime and see the city, I always thought that was like the most beautiful thing ever. So he took me up there to do it at nighttime with all of that stuff. And he took me into like the middle of the heart with the flowers and everything. And he actually had his sister um, and her boyfriend at the time, like there hiding and like filming it, <laughs> taking pictures. But it was nighttime. So it's not great footage, but it's so cute still. Um, but yeah, and so we that was in Feb, the, like the end of February, and we were married April seventh. So I went through the <laughs> temple for my first time and like got my endowments out on April sixth, and then we were married the next day. And um, so I had known him in person for three months when we got married. Wow. Yeah. So well, that's a very that's a very Mormon thing. That's too. a very Mormon thing, and, and I think a lot of times too, like. Even still, some Mormons are like, oh, I thought I was fast, and that was really fast. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, and so we went through the temple. We, you know, still went to church together and everything. And um, at one point, we, um, when we found out we were pregnant with our first baby, which was, like, with within, like, the first year of marriage, um we decided like looking for a different place to live, like potentially like buying our first home and all this stuff. And when, um, while I was pregnant with my first baby, my mom passed away of breast cancer and oh, she like went downhill fast. And that was something that was like mentally so hard for me because I had been gone. And like the last time I would like, like from the t time that she was like at my wedding, like I don't want to say perfectly fine. Cause she did end up in the emergency room, like on my wedding day because she struggles with like her circulation and stuff and all it's a lot, but um, just like seeing her like being up and, and lively and all this stuff. And then, um, you know, within a year, like, no hair, can't, like, even barely sit up or breathe, and she, like, kind of, like, just already looks like she's not there anymore kind of thing, and so, like, I went out to see her, and, um, I, I was actually in the home, um, the night that she died, um, so I'm happy that I was able to be there, but I mean, it was really hard when I was pregnant. Yeah. And I remember like the whole time that she was like getting sicker and sicker. I was like hoping and praying that she would make it to like, at least my baby being born. Um, 
but I, by the time when she passed away, I still had like five months to go. So I, um, she didn't make it there quite yet, but that was really hard. I mean, you add on like all the hormones and everything with pregnancy and all that. And I, I just like, didn't want to like go to church. I didn't want to like do any of the things I was just kind of like, and it wasn't really anything to do with the church either. It was just like, I was just kind of falling into this like state of depression where everything was too hard and I just didn't want to like do anything. Yeah. And so, um, that was happening and we had our baby and she was born in like November of 2019. So that was like right around the time that COVID started hitting like hard and so I was like, I'm not taking yeah. my baby outside. I ain't taking her to church. I'm not taking her anywhere. <laughs> like, I am staying trapped in the house in here. Plus, like, living in Utah with all the snow. Like, I grew up in California. I was still scared to drive in the snow. I would drive in the snow. But I was, on top of, like, that already scaring me a little bit to think, like, putting my brand new baby in the car or driving on, like, icy roads. It's like, I'm not going. <laughs> so, yeah, no thank you. Yeah, so we definitely got out of the habit of attending church for a while, and um, by the time I was two months postpartum, um, I was pregnant again. Holy moly! Yeah. Um, Woman! (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy. Um, So I remember, like, I remember, like, kind of being excited, because, like, our baby was, like, our first baby was a really, really good baby. She, like, slept through the night, like, by the time she was, like, three days old, and, like, her pediatrician was, like, like, if she's sleeping through the night, like, you just let her, like, she, if she's eating before she sleeps and she's, like, waking up, whatever, like, he's, like, just let her, and so I was, like, all right, well, and so, and it worked, like, she would just, like, eat, like, crazy before bed and eat, like, crazy when she woke up, but she would just sleep all night. She was, like, never cried so we were just like didn't think it was gonna be like that hard so we were like kind of excited but I remembered how difficult pregnancy was for me like emotionally and so that part made me start crying I was like I just wanted my body back and I didn't get it I was two months postpartum there's no way I was like and then it was just gonna go right back out again and I was just like crying about it I remember but um yeah after you know, I had, we still weren't really going to church and, um, we went like maybe three times, like during that whole pregnancy. And I remember getting to a point after having my second baby where I just kind of started feeling guilty for not going. We were still doing all of the other things. We were still like wearing our garments. We still had like temple date nights and we still like, you know, wouldn't drink coffee or alcohol or do anything like that like we were still doing all of the things that we're told to do we just like didn't have like church attendance um but yeah so we ended up moving um here to St. George Utah which is like very very I'm like 10 minutes away from Arizona like I'm very close to the border um and we bought this new house and um we decided like with this new fresh start that we're going to like go to church and start attending church again. And we're going to like have regular attendance. We're going to like participate in any callings that we get. Like this is like our thing. Like we're going to do this now. Um, and, um, 
So that's what we've been doing since we've been here. We've been here for almost a year in like April, it'll be a year. So um, that's what we've been doing. And it, it had been great. Really, it was just kind of like, I had fully ingrained in myself that like, the only way that you could have true happiness is if you're doing all of these things. And so I felt like I had to do it like as a wife and a mother that like this is what I need to do for my family to like be happy. And um, it, it was hard. Like my daughter has autism and she really struggles with like large groups of people. She struggles with like noise. She does not like other kids. She only likes adults. And so it's with her having to like go to nursery and like she hated it. And like it made Sundays so hard because it was just constant like tantrums and crying and like overwhelming like stimulation for her. And um, my husband, like if I would be like getting up in the morning, getting ready for church, you could tell that he was kind of like annoyed like oh we're going to church like because now he knows we've got to deal with like all of these kids and he has social anxiety a lot sometimes and so to be in a social place where like his kids are screaming and all attention is on him he gets like really really overwhelmed um yeah so it became like so hard and I'd be like we're gonna get there and we're gonna hear the stories like of everybody and we're gonna sing the songs and we're gonna feel so much better when we get home and all this stuff and um, they, we had a situation where, um, one of my husband's family members, this was very recent. This was just within the last few months. Um, she told all of, um, you know, us in the family, she kind of came out about something where one of her friends or someone we thought was one of her friends, um, had been sexually abusing her for like two years and um he was very like manipulative and narcissistic and it made her think that like the things that had happened were her fault and her idea and like all this stuff when she was very uncomfortable and didn't want to and it was kind of a lot of like freeze and or like submit kind of things um but when, when she decided to finally tell some of the family, like all of the family, like she had eight kids, like, and all the kids, a lot of the or five of them are married and have kids too. So it's like, there's a big family and, um, everybody came together and was like, you need to take this like to his stake president because this guy was a bishop and he was stalking her. And he was stalking her children to get, like, information about her and where she was. He was harassing her every single day, like, with, like, 20-plus texts, like, every day. He'd send her pornography one day, and then he'd send her, um, like, a conference talk the next day. He was, like, psychopath. So she took all this information to his stake president, and he was like, well, he's really sorry so can he like would you be okay with it like if he kept his calling and she was like are you joking and like really had to try and fight where he like finally the state president finally decided that he would take the like information up to like a member of the 70 to like talk about it and they ultimately decided that like he could still like 
like be a bishop and have his calling and he's sorry for his actions and all this stuff and really it's just like if you release a bishop early people gossip and ask questions and they didn't want to have that in my opinion um but um so she like this process took probably like two months and she was just like tired of it and she took all the information to her own stake president and within 24 hours he had this guy removed from his calling like that was a wow. that's like another difference between like you know people who should be in that position and people who shouldn't like and um right and and that's the leadership roulette that you get you never know if you're gonna get I can't believe that that was a bishop. Like, where's the spirit of discernment? Or exactly. where's the. Oh my God. Exactly. It's like, it's insane. Ooh. And like, it started before he was a bishop. He became a bishop like while it was happening and never said anything and then continued it while he was a bishop. And so, yeah, this was just like a few months ago. And so her stake president got him removed. I remember they were allowing him to like sit up on the stand still for a few weeks to like make it look like he was still the bishop. Um, maybe until they found a new one. I don't, maybe that's my guess. But um, his stake president recommended to like not tell his wife like about what happened. Because this guy's married and has children. And yeah. um, as from like... Through the grapevine, I've heard that he's given, like, some information to his wife, but we don't know exactly what his wife knows, but we've heard something about how, like, she knows something, like, and, but, so we don't really know, but, um, they, uh, that was crazy, and, and Colin's, um, family, my husband, like, everybody just started seriously questioning, like, authority in the church and who has the right to do what and everything, and, um, it's, um, you know, everyone's kind of telling us that, like, there's people who are imperfect and, you know, we just have to, like, decide for ourselves and all this stuff, and I'm just like, that's not what is taught, though. We are taught to follow the prophet. Like, what he says is from the mouth of God. Like, when the bishop says that we're not worthy to go to the temple, there's nothing we can do about it. He can just take that right from us and being able to go. Like, I have to do everything the way that you they tell me to do it, even if they are imperfect people. And, and you know, if we believe we're worthy for something, but they don't, they can still take stuff from us, you know? And so... It, it became this whole thing and, and, you know, my husband and I started like going down this rabbit hole of research and we found the CES letter. My husband read the CES letter in like maybe an hour or two, just like stayed up. Like he was supposed to be going to bed and he found it online and he just stayed up and read all of it and immediately decided to remove his records. Like he's been born and raised. He went on a mission to Chile. Like we're sealed in the temple and he, that was enough for him right there. He's like absolutely not like no way and um he has like he's like i have no faith in authority in the church i don't have any um i don't believe that there's such thing as the one true church um i believe that you know we i don't believe that there are like modern prophets on earth that like we have the ability to have whatever you know spiritual revelation we want on our own with christ and like um he's he's like he's like he's we're all still in a state of questioning he's like i don't know if if you know 
I believe that, you know, there's like a heavenly father and a Jesus Christ, or if it's just one person and he's like, we're all in this like whole state of just kind of trying to figure out what we believe. Um, I'm definitely in a situation where I'm just like, I think I'll find like, like podcasts online and, and like hearing other people's stories. And like, there's people who are still in the church and I'm like, how do they know all of this information and stay in the church? And it makes me so curious where I'm like, how can I do that? And it's like, am I doing that because I'm just like comfortable there? Cause like I've always been there and you know, ultimately at this point, I, I don't feel like it's something that I'm going to like continue to participate in, but it's hard trying to, you know, discern like, what are my beliefs? Like what, what is the good that I did like learn and that I'm going to like take from, you know, growing up in this space, but like what kind of things did I learn that, you know, were not true and did not matter. And like, I started like realizing that I had like a lot of like trauma connected to things that were taught to me, like, you know, the licked cupcake and the chewed gum. That's when I, I realized how much that had hurt me and, um, got confused about all the bishops who would like, you know, give me all these punishments for things that I didn't actually do. And, all of this stuff and I was just like oh my gosh and it's crazy from family members I'm very vocal like on my social media and my YouTube channel about like everything which is very very scary when like everyone in my life is a member of the church um and yeah it is scary. and so it's really interesting like you know hearing from different family members and the things that they have to say and realizing like who loves you conditionally and who loves you unconditionally. And oh, yeah. so it's been quite a ride. But, you know, my husband removed his records today. They're, like, officially not there. And I haven't done that yet. I'm still in, like, a state of fear. <laughs> like, um, I, I feel like I'm ultimately going to get is. there. But I'm, I'm, it's, I'm honestly just, like, scared from the things that I've learned. And, like, what if this is true? Like, I need that. And, like, I but I like, don't believe that it's true. So like, why? Yeah. It's yeah. scary. It's scary. And there's been a, a couple things that I wanted to comment on. Um, first off, yes, it is very scary. Like when, when my shelf first started to break, you know, it's like, I went from knowing everything mm -hmm. to knowing nothing. Like I knew what was going to happen after this life. I knew my purpose here on earth. I knew everything was laid out and then suddenly my shelf broke mm -hmm. and I knew nothing but and and like I still like you know yes I believe there's a god but what do they look like yeah. I don't know like what is the nature of them but I think that's the beauty of the faith crisis and then the mm -hmm. faith journey is learning to live in that mm -hmm. gray area of where I don't know and that's okay yeah. to not know you know like um, we lived in that black and white for so long that it's nice for me. I enjoy living yeah. in the gray area now, but it's like, you know what, what is, what is, and I'm going to live my life the way that mm -hmm. I feel is good. And, you know, I'm going to get my own, I'm going to go with yeah. my own conscious conscience. And yeah. And I don't believe okay. anybody will be punished um, for doing what they think is right. Whatever that is. Right. And there's so, you know, there's so many different right and wrong, like what is right and wrong? Like, 
you know, what's right for one person is going to be wrong for another, you know, like, is it wrong to steal? Yes. Well, what if you're doing it to feed your family? Well, no, you know, like your baby's going to die if you don't steal this loaf of bread. Well, no, Mm -hmm. that's not bad, you know, because your baby's going to, you know, it's like your intentions behind what you're doing are like what's important. Right. There's so many different layers of right and wrong that's not black and white. And it's so, you know, living, learning to live in that gray area is, is beautiful, I think. And um, gosh, I had something else to say and I forget what it was now, but that's, I know that's, that's the, the biggest thing when I was, um, oh, I, when I was going through my, you know, I think the, the faith crisis part lasted all of a week and then ever since then it's been like the faith journey like the the crisis was like the the scary you know like oh my gosh I know nothing every I just lost everything and then since then it's been rebuilding and you know deconstructing picking and choosing like you know what I've learned and picking and choosing what I want to keep you know the good parts and then deconstructing the bad parts and choosing for myself what's right for me um, and I know, like, when it came to removing my records, I really went back and forth about it. And then the reason that I chose to remove my records was because I didn't, like, I spent my whole life with the church and other people having authority over me. I didn't want them, even though I didn't believe that they had authority on me, with my name being on the records, I felt mm-hmm. like they had authority over me. And I felt like they had, they still had some control. So in the end, that's why I chose that it was best for me to remove my records because it was like taking that control for myself, something I never had in my whole life. Um, So it can be a beautiful thing too, but it's certainly not something to do until you're ready. And it is scary. I don't know if you, if you've ever watched the musical, the book of Mormon. I haven't, Um, but everybody's telling, because literally my parents told me not to watch it growing up. Like they really don't watch it. Well, (laughs) it's, it's bad. It's, it's bad. It's very bad. And I would understand why a lot of Mormons don't watch it. And I would understand why Mormons would get offended when they watch it. But in it, there's this um, song called Spooky Mormon Hell Dream, where, you know, I think that's in it. Where they're like talking about like, you know, there's such a level of fear instilled in Mormons about hell and outer darkness that it just, it's a real fear that even when they leave the church, they no longer believe there's no part of them that believes they still have this Mm -hmm. ingrained fear of outer darkness, of hell, of being banished, of being alone, you know? And yeah. I mean, it's weird how the church teaches, too, that, like, if you never had the gospel and you didn't, like, fully accept it and become baptized, but you, like, did whatever you did, it didn't matter if you made good choices or bad choices or whatever, you could still make it to, like, that lowest degree of heaven. But if you knew the church and you were baptized and you fully accepted it and all this stuff and you decided it wasn't true, hell. Right. And so it's almost better to not preach the gospel because it's better for people to have not known at all. So then it's like, well, why do we want to baptize people? Give them the chance to. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a lot. And I mean, similar, I feel like you talking about how like your, your crisis and then moving to a journey, how it took like about a week. I feel like that's kind of how it was for my husband too. It, it was so much faster. And I think I, I, still have like a lot of like 
fear connected with like the idea of like fully leaving but then also like like there's a level of like comfort that I have received from the church too but it's like it depends on the day because some days I'm just like I can't believe this and that and I'm so upset and like I didn't realize that this was like you know in my head for so many years and it wasn't even true and all this stuff and and feeling like I took like that book off of a shelf I had like it was a big heavy book I had this huge question and I pulled it off and the whole shelf came like tumbling over me that's how I've been like describing it and I'm just like I can't get over like all of the information I'm learning about Joseph Smith and who he was I'm like how the heck am I supposed to trust anything that he said he didn't even have the plates with him, supposedly, right. when he translated the Book of Mormon. What the heck is this about a seer stone and a hat? I'm so confused. Like, everything. And and then other days, I'm like, oh, but it, like, feels so good to, like, have all these friends and, like, my kids. And my son is in nursery, and he loves all the songs. And, like, and so that's why, like, I'm posting, like, all of this stuff on my YouTube channel, too. Because I'm like, it really has been, like a long like huge like back and forth thing for me I feel like where I'm always feeling differently and so sometimes I have my husband come in and you know where he's removed his records I think a lot of times having his input is like a kind of good like something different from like me just being like I don't know and then just like crying and um but even now like I had two more videos that are being edited right now that have more information about like um you know, going down into, like, very specific, like, gospel, like, doctrine and topics and, like, what my opinion is on them and my husband's opinion. And I'm, like, thinking about making a video, too, where I, like, um, talk about a lot of the, like, comments and, like, conversations that I've had with, like, friends and family members and things that have been said to me and things that have made me feel good and have been made me feel, like, helped and then things that were, like, not helpful made me feel like disconnected like I won't use anybody's names but just kind of like talk about you know certain things that were said to me and like sharing them because I feel like that could be kind of interesting too so it's been like an idea but yeah I just like I'm like I just want to share and like having people comment and they're just like like I cannot speak up about these things but I feel the same way and like what am I supposed to say to like my spouse who's like so active in the church like and I hear stories about that where like the spouse doesn't agree and it ruins like marriages and families and my heart just like breaks for them I feel so lucky that you know my husband and I have been like on the same page for the most part then at one point he like totally zoomed off and was like so much faster than me but um yeah so it's just I don't know I just like I I love the idea of being able to like be a voice for people who can like you know, find people who are in similar situations and, you know, similar to like this podcast and just like, I just feel like it's so necessary. And as much as like, you know, there's a lot of information about different things where you can like find comfort in like not feeling alone. I think there isn't as much of that, like with the Mormon church. I don't think there's a lot of, um, you know, places where you can go where you are like, in crisis where people are going to like support you or understand you I don't feel like there's enough of that and so just like 
anything that we could put out there, I just feel like is so important. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it was so comforting to me when I, when I started going through my faith crisis that, you know, I was able to reach out to a friend who had been more vocal. Um, and so I immediately knew I wasn't alone and she was able to give me resources and, and it's such a, it's, it's such a scary spot to be. So it's good to have people that, you know, know where you're at and can help guide you through it. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we'll see where I end up. I I don't feel like I'm going to end up in the church. I will say that like probably spoiler, but (laughs) I can still say that, you know, like you had mentioned, like you find comfort in the church still sometimes. And, and I still feel that even though I removed my, like my records a year ago, um, there's times that, you know, I have to go to the church building or I'll hear a church hymn or something, or I'll see pictures. And I actually like almost feel a comfort in it. And like, it almost feels like home because that's where I grew Mm -hmm. up. Yeah. But you know, sometimes you grow up and you leave home and you grow out of those things and that's okay. But it still has a sense of nostalgia. It's not like, you know, I, I don't hate the church. I don't hate, you know, but it's just, I, I grew out of it and I, it's not where I need to be now. Um, I keep getting, oh yeah, where you were talking about things that were helpful that people have said to you and things that weren't helpful. I know one thing that I had a hard time with was when I told my siblings that um, I no longer believed, which, like I said, my my shelf breaking, while it was like a, a slow fizzle for a couple years, and then it was almost like overnight where I believed and then I didn't like I was building up my Mm -hmm. shelf for so long and I didn't know I was building up my shelf for so long. And then like overnight it crashed. And then when I told my siblings, um, you know, that I didn't believe that I wasn't going to attend anymore. They, I have two siblings that are still active in the church. They were, they both said, Oh yeah, we've known for years. I was like, well, how did you know for years? I didn't even know for years. Like, this is new for me. And then that made me mad because I was like, you saw that I was struggling and you didn't reach out once. So that made me even more mad because I was like, within the church, when you see someone struggling, you're supposed to reach out. You're supposed to help. And I'm like, well, clearly you guys saw me struggling for years and I didn't even realize that I was struggling. But I knew, you know, looking back, I saw that I was building up that shelf and they just ignored it. You know, and that's, I, that made me angry. That was one of those things that wasn't helpful. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's hard when like, I think sometimes a lot of times members don't have the answers to the questions that a lot of people who end up leaving have. And when they don't have the answers, I think sometimes like the easiest thing to do is to like either say nothing or just be like, uh, well, fast and pray, like, right. you know, so it's it's hard and that's um definitely not helpful yeah (laughs) but yeah and then yeah I guess something that my mom said not to make this about about me (laughs) but you're making me no yeah go you go when um when I told my mom that I was leaving the church which it took me a lot longer to tell my mom than I like I told my siblings pretty quick but I didn't tell my mom for a long time and I didn't tell my mom until like I I'm currently getting a divorce and I'm also dating a woman 
And so it took me to where I had to sit her down and say, hey, I'm leaving the church. I'm getting a divorce. I'm dating a woman. Like I laid it all out on her all at once. You know, like yeah. it was clearly like I've been out of the church for a year. I've changed my life completely. This is different, you know. And her yeah. response after all of that, <laughs> after I went through all of this, was, well, just remember, the church is always there if you ever decide to come back. <laughs> I was like, after everything I just told you, that's how thanks, you're going to respond. Mom. Yeah, <laughs> no, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> that's so helpful. Thank you so much. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, definitely great examples of not helpful. I love, I mean, I've had members of the church who, you know, family and friends and stuff who are very active members and don't, they're not doing the same thing that I'm doing. They are happy in the church. It's where they want to be. It's where they're comfortable and that's great for them. And they're just like, they're just like, I'm sure that this situation that you're going through is really difficult right now. And I can't even imagine it. I'm very like firm with where I'm at. I couldn't imagine like being where you are and it seems like it would be so hard and I just want you to know that like I'm here for you if you ever need and I love you no matter what decision you make like I'm like that's what I need just like tell me you love me no matter what right like I don't want like all of these like you know I get sometimes I get like these long messages from people strangers or family whatever and it's just like about trying to explain certain things to me in a way where it's like, you don't actually know what you're talking about. Like, you're basically just kind of trying to tell me to like, pray about it. Right. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I don't know. So there's a lot of that. I had people like, straight up calling me like, you're arrogant. Like, you don't even have like, with what you're doing right now, you don't have the ability to like, even feel um, any like type of spirit or like revelation from from God, you, you're not able to feel that connection because you don't have like the faith and testimony, like people putting like all of these words in my mouth and, um, straight up family members where I did not realize that there was like that much conditional love in this. And like, you're destroying like your, the afterlife of like your children and you know, your family's not going to be together and like, you're just ruining their eternity. Like, oh my gosh, lots of stuff. So I'm like, this is kind of why I'm like feeling like, I'm like, I feel like this could be like an entire video of just like messages that I've personally received that were not helpful and things that were because it's a lot. Right, for sure. And, well, yeah, well, I'm learning a lot about people. While we're talking about your, your, YouTube, your YouTube, do you want to plug it? Like, is there a specific, it's just your name, right? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. It's just my first and last name. It's just Peyton Hawes. Um, and I mean, I assume that the title of this episode would probably have my name in it or something. Yeah. So that's right. how you spell it. <laughs> be your name. Yep. Yeah. Um, well definitely but... I would recommend that people go check it out because the the bit that I saw before the episode, I'm like, this is fantastic. This is very, oh, very so good. Sweet. Thank and you. It's Thank it's just you. very good. It's very honest. It's very raw. And that's what is needed. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, did you have more? Like, you have... 
I feel like I feel like that's like that's a wrap of what I've got for, <laughs> for today. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I think yeah. you did. I your your story is amazing and heartbreaking all in one. Um like I I said I could certainly identify with it and I think many people will identify with it. Um yeah. that happens more often than than anyone ever realizes that you know when someone's abused once by one person they're often abused multiple times by multiple different people Mm -hmm. and you know I know it happened to me it happened and it's almost like the the people pleaser in us almost makes us a target and yeah. it's something that we have to fight against our whole life. And it's, you know, it's something that I'm still working on. I'm 40 years old and I'm still yeah. working on, I'm just now trying to figure out how to not be a people pleaser and how to take care of myself. And, mm-hmm. and it's, but it happens more than we know. And that's why it's important to have these stories out there so that people know they're not alone. You know, mm-hmm. it's, and it's not, it's not your fault for what happened, any of it. And I'm so yeah. glad that you had that Bishop that told you that that one time. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's awful how often it happens, but that's the reason why we have this podcast as well to get the stories out there and let people know they're not alone. You know? Yeah. Um, I know my own personal story, the silence that surrounded the abuse is what perpetuated the abuse to continue. And Mm. if there was more talking, you know, if, if there were more, um, if there was less silence, then maybe there would have been less abuse. And that's one thing that I want to see as, um, as time goes on that, you know, more people are speaking up so that more people get the help that they need. Yeah, for sure. So I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy I was able to be here and I love sharing my story. I love talking. So thanks for letting me ramble my TED talk. Absolutely. That what's wonderful about rambling is I think often we, we make connections that we didn't have before. So there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm sure, um, as you go on, you're going to add more to your story. You know, you're, you're going to add more connections and, and find more realizations. And yeah, for sure. Thank you for joining us on Latter-day Survivors. You can find us on the web at latterdaysurvivors.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Latter-day Survivors, and we're on Twitter at LD Survivors. As survivors of trauma and abuse, we wanted to provide a platform for survivors to share their stories. Many survivors of all types of abuse may be able to recognize and relate to the patterns of behavior in the victims, abusers, families, and friends of the stories shared by other survivors on this podcast. Often as we escape oppressive family, religious, and social constructs to a safer place where we come to see our abuse and all related issues, we are better able to process and begin to heal. We believe that when we share our stories with others, we can also help them to heal. It can take decades for survivors to find the courage to speak about these things. If it is so hard for adults, imagine how difficult it is for a child to speak up. We hope to normalize these discussions so that children can speak to adults earlier. As adults, we must listen and recognize the severity of the abuse, its potential consequences, and the need for action to stop the abuse as early as possible. Just knowing we are not alone, 
that there are other people who have felt and do feel the same or have endured similar experiences in life can remind us that we are not alone in this. So hard. 